Hello again, everybody, and welcome into another edition of Political Beats, a presentation of National Review. Find us on Twitter at political underscore beats. We also invite you to subscribe to our feed for episodes coming right to you through iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, or you can go right to nationalreview.com, nationalreview.com. Click on podcasts. You'll find all the fine NR podcasts, including this one right here, Political Beats. Listen, enjoy, share with your friends and loved ones and even enemies, and leave reviews. I'm Scott Bertram. Find me on Twitter, at Scott Bertram. My tag team partner standing by, as always, Jeff Blair. Jeff, how are you? Well, I don't know, Scott. I think we had a good run, uh, but I feel like our partnership is kind of, you know, run its natural course. And I'm really I'm, I feel like it's diminishing returns at this point. So I think from here on out, I'm going to be recording uh, the rest of these shows with a with a, a cast of thousands podcast legends. I'm going to be getting the, the Chapo Trap House guys in to do a couple episodes <laughs> with me. And then then we're going to have the Pod Save of America guys. We're going to get, you know, Jonah Goldberg and the Remnant to do some shows. But hey, you know what? No worries. You can come back you know, in a couple of years from now and record a couple episodes. Sure. Well, I'll just wait for the book I write, The Big Microphone, which will be out soon. Uh, I won't <laughs> direct, or directly refer to you, but you can infer some things, I'm sure. Well, I, I will have a response podcast that will be thinly coated digs taken at you. Jeff on Twitter, at Esoteric CD. And back for more punishment in part two of our Elvis Costello uh, extravaganza is the politics editor at Business Insider and Insider and the producer ombudsman ombudsman of the Fifth Column podcast, which can be found at we the and of which many members are guests on this year's show too. At Anthony L. Fisher on Twitter. He's Anthony Fisher. Anthony, thanks for coming back. Uh, my pleasure, guys. Great to be here. It is a job uh, not finished, which we will attempt to do in, in the time we have for this part two. Now, in uh, in case you weren't with us for part one, I mean, you should probably should do that first. Uh, but I'll remind you, where we left off, uh, Declan McManus, uh, well, was around the time he was going back to using that name. Uh, Goodbye, Cruel World is where we left Elvis Costello last time. Uh, his self-proclaimed worst album, at least in the album uh, liner notes, for the re-releases of Goodbye, Cruel World. I'm not sure that's totally true. We might get to more of that during the program <laughs> here today. But, but after Goodbye, Cruel World, I'll, uh, I'll allow Jeff to kind of take us through uh, what's happening next. But we get, to, we get to 1986 and two albums in one year that I think stand up awfully well. Okay, so the reason we cut off this podcast, the first episode of this podcast with Goodbye Cruel World, is because this that really was the end of Elvis Costello's longstanding functional working relationship with his backing band, The Attractions. Yes, they would return in various guises and forms all throughout the remainder of his career, right up until the present day. But that original trio, him recording exclusively with Pete Thomas, Bruce Thomas, and Steve Naive, that ends with Goodbye Cruel World. And what we begin here with his next album, which I have always associated, by the way, with 1985. It was recorded all throughout 1985. It came out in like January of 1986. To me, it's like it's like saying Bob Dylan's John Wesley Harding is a, a 1967 album. You know, it, it, does it feel like it's anything like 1967? No, this screams, you know, like you know, Reagan was just reelected. Thatcher is still in office. Mid nineteen eighty five, heyday of the eighties. Um, but what happens with this album is, for the first time, Elvis says, "I don't feel like I can work with my band anymore. I don't feel like we have a productive working relationship anymore." And he even tried to get things done with them during these sessions, and it, with one 
major exception, it didn't work out. Um, so this inaugurates an era where he's going to then start branching out. And this will, will, will bear sometimes bitter fruit in the years to come where he starts doing all sorts of weird things. You know, he, he, he's not just content to be a rock and roller anymore. He wants to do classical music excursions. <laughs> he wants to do jazz records. He wants to do, you know, Burt Bacharach collaborations. And he <clears throat> wants to hang out with, I think somebody, I remember reading an old review from Pitchfork in like 2003. It said, well, the only genre that Elvis Costello hasn't tried to do at this point is hip hop. Then he did an album with the roots so then he's basically tried to do every single conceivable thing he could do and it all starts here but uh it couldn't be a more auspicious beginning because the album that it all starts with is a record called king of america now this is a record that when it was originally released basically disappeared it had no commercial profile there were no hit singles uh it wasn't really even released in, or promoted in any way by his American record label at the time because he was in a dispute with them. This, uh, you know, He would basically be an NGP working off his contract for the next record and then move to Warner Brothers later. Uh, but this is sort of his version of a country or Americana kind of an album. And uh, this is also the era where Elvis Costello begins to fail to edit himself. This is one of the most amazingly <laughs> long single disc records that has ever been released. It's 58 minutes in the vinyl era. And, uh, you know, if you thought Aftermath, that we talked about in our previous installment of the show, was a long record at like 53 minutes, well, this is 58 minutes, and it's still the same old vinyl LP. Uh, that might be a recipe for disaster were it not for the fact that Elvis Costello has never been at a greater height of his songwriting powers and performance. I love this record, even if it's overstuffed, even if I could cut off four of the songs, mostly, you know, the uh, the rockabilly numbers and the slower bluesy songs. I don't need that cover of Don't Let Me Be Misunderstood. But the rest of this is some of his most brilliant lyrical writing, some of his most heartrending balladry. And frankly, the band of studio professionals that he put together to play with him uh, is amazing. And then they do this music justice. It's just you get a great sound out of this material. Uh, this is one of of his three greatest albums ever released and it is a fantastic way to start off this second chapter of our Elvis Costello review. the way the album kicks off and i think i mentioned on the first show uh that elvis is particularly adroit at picking the right song to kick off the album uh and this in this case it's brilliant mistake which has um which has a nod to the title king of america uh and it's just a it's just a great um beautiful melody uh in the chorus that um i like when i think of this album I, that's the first thing i think of is that melody I thought that was an attractions performance for the longest time. And then I went and I read his liner notes later mm -hmm. on. And he said, like, I intended this to be recorded by them because it sounded like it would be an attraction song. But apparently they were just like angry at each other in the studio and they couldn't nail it. But it has that wonderful, you know what, you know, for me, it, it, of all things, it's the, I, I guess the harmonium or is it an, 
accordion that plays in the background of that song, mm-hmm. which is, is an instrument that comes back in a lot of these songs throughout this album. It just gives it that warm, consolatory feeling. It gives me kind of a feeling of a, we can work it out, although it's much mm-hmm. much more bitter lyrics. It has one of my most, most favorite insult lines in the entire Elvis Costello lyrical corpus where he says, he's talking about some woman, she, says, she said that she was working for the ABC News. It was as much of the alphabet as she knew how to use. And I think we've all met that person. Uh, <laughs> so we know exactly who those kinds of folks are. She said she was working for the ABC News. It was as much of the alphabet as she knew how to use. Her perfume was unspeakable. You know, and there's a like you said, there's a lot of uh, nods to Americana. There's a lot of songs with lyrical conceits that have about America. There's American without tears. There's Eisenhower blues. Um, one song that stands out for me is "I'll Wear It Proudly," but the for, to me the defining song, uh, and perhaps perhaps Elvis's best, um, you know, really downbeat ballad, uh, in my opinion, is "Indoor Fireworks." Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that song. That is a, a devastating song um, about somebody who's having a rough time with their partner and really, really wants to uh, meet them halfway, admit, you know, their foibles and hope that the other one will admit theirs and uh, get back to making the, having the sparks between them fly rather than the fire that they're shooting at each other. You were the spice of life The chin in my mood And though the sparks would fly Thought I loved Fireproof Sometimes we'd fight in public, darling With very little cause But different kinds of sparks would fly When we got on our own behind closed doors Indoor fireworks Can still burn your fingers I, I, made, I don't think I mentioned this on the show, but uh, I made a movie a few years ago called Sidewalk Traffic, which you can get on uh, Amazon, Amazon Prime, and a whole bunch of other places. Uh, and I mentioned to you guys, I think, on email that uh, I am really, really bad at naming characters when I'm writing fiction. Uh, so uh, because I was in the bit of a Elvis Costello rabbit hole, I, I named the lead character Declan. And it was particularly a song like Indoor Fireworks that... Um, was really affecting me at the time because the lead characters in sidewalk traffic are a married couple who are dealing with things like new parenthood and unemployment and depression. And I feel like a song like indoor fireworks as quiet and pretty as it is carries so much combustible emotion. Uh, it's just perfect. And, um, that's, 
like that's that's I think that's what I, I want to leave as my, my big take on this album. King of America is actually an Elvis album I came to uh, late in my discovery of his career, and it's one of the uh, ones I've spent I don't want to say the fewest amount of time, fewest amount of uh, minutes with, but, uh, but 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 I'm still I'm still looking into its nooks and crannies, so to speak. But from the start, it's clear this is a great statement from uh, from Elvis Costello and. I'm not sure how much of the the switch from the attractions was intentional. Uh, I think that, that there there was some there was some money difficulty here. He ended up doing a bunch of solo shows because because he couldn't afford to bring the band on tour with him. So it was just him and T Bone Burnett doing some shows, and I think he, he developed a good chemistry with Burnett, and certainly he did. He calls him one of his closest friends, and still works with him to this day, of course. And uh, and sort of carry that into the studio. As Jeff mentioned there were there were uh, opportunities and potential places for the attractions to play, and most simply did not work out. You know, it's it's almost simple to say, simplest to say that a lot of this album sounds like Elvis Costello's demos for the early work. You know, if you go back to the Rhino reissues and you hear the 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 original demos for the stuff on Armed Forces or those early discs, you know, it's Zelda and an acoustic guitar in many places. And that's what a lot of the album is, of course, augmented by that crack band, the, the TCB band and, and, uh, and, and others who would come in and play. But some of these songs sound like, you know, bef- songs before the attractions got their claws into them. And normally you'd say, well, you want the attractions to play on them. And in this case, these work out pretty darn well. Um, Brilliant Mistake is just a fantastic song. I, I, I love the little space given to the band to stretch out after the chorus, before the next verse begins. These little changes. A real full and robust sound on Brilliant Mistake. It's one of his best uh, songs of you know of the, the second part that we'll cover uh, in, in this episode. Uh, little Palaces is a song that hit me very hard the first time I heard it off King of America. Kind of a a true uh, story. It's a, about a little town in Ireland where I guess Costello's family ended up. It's where the Cadbury chocolate uh, uh, factory is located. But Little Palaces is, 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 is close to like a, a true folk song almost, as, as Costello would write. Really highlights his skill as a songwriter and a performer and a, an arranger, of course. And you can tell, I think, that, that this one really means something to him. Little Palaces is a great track. It's like shouting in a matchbox. Do it, bless the and hope. Like a picture of Prince William in the arms of John the Pope. There's a world of good intentions and pissy in their eyes. The sedated homes of England, there's the vandalize. So you knock the kids about a bit because they've got your name. And you knock the kids about a bit until they feel the same. And they feel like knocking down the little palaces. And then you get toward the, the, the end of the album. There are all sorts of standout tracks. Uh, Jack of All Parades is such a great tune. Uh, as the drums hit, as the chorus kicks in, what a great moment. And the final minute or so, uh, where Steve Naive is playing piano, it sweeps in for that last minute and really takes you away on Jack of All Parades. 
the one song where the attractions play, uh, Suit of Lights, is really fantastic. The attractions sound great. Uh, based on a, on a true story of Elvis watching his dad sing in front of a rude audience and, and sort of how, how, how that played out and how it affected things. Suit of Lights is a great track. I, I, I love the production on King of America. And, and Blood and Chocolate, too, we'll get to next, which is uh, the, the next album from 1986. But I think both of these... Uh, both of those albums have a great sound, and King of America especially. You could drop it in the 90s, you could drop it in the alts, you could drop it nearly this year, and it wouldn't sound dated. It's one of the those very few albums, at least in my opinion, from the from the 80s that don't scream, hey, I was made in 1985. There's not a lot of trickery. Um, you know, the, the production is, is relatively straightforward up front, and you hear what's being played, and I really love that about King of America. I actually, if anything, think that you guys are underselling the virtues of this album, even as you praise it. And, and I'm going to start, actually, by criticizing it, ironically enough. So what are the things I can say against King of America? Okay, it's too long. Almost all of Elvis Costello's albums from this point onward are going to be too damn long. He is logoria. He can't edit himself. It, 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 it's very much in, in keeping with his personality. This is the guy who writes these lengthy liner notes. You basically, you know, throw five cents at him and he'll write you a 4,000 word <laughs> essay. He just likes to talk about music and his music too. Um, he is an, he's an, a self-anthologizer and, and it's it's kind of one of his lovable because he's a music dork, right? He's like us. You know, we, we record these long podcasts. Elvis Costello records, you know, tons and tons of music and wants you to hear every note of it. Uh, but I would take five songs out of here. I don't, I don't care for the rockabilly stuff like Big Light and Glitter Gulch. I don't think you needed uh, Poison Rose or Eisenhower Blues. I don't think oh, you need Don't think Let Me Beat. Poison, Poison Rose is a really great track. That's I, he I likes it too. I, I don't know. It's just, <clears throat> it's one tick too slow. Indoor Fireworks, never been my favorite, but only because I'm, I'm really in love with the Nick Lowe version of that song. I don't know if you guys have heard Nick Lowe's cover of it, uh, which I think is, is just superior in every way because Nick sings it with actually a much more, uh, it's ironic because they're both British, but he sings it with a much more uninflected and, and unforced kind of a country cadence. Brings out the pathos of that song even more than Elvis is original but that's it those are the sum total of my criticisms about this album there's a there's a span on the second half of this record that goes from i'll wear it proudly to the end you take out eisenhower blues and big light you know the up-tempo numbers where he basically is just a pure show of strength uh for elvis costello as a heart-wrenchingly open and naked songwriter. This is the thing about him. I talked in our first episode about how one of the things that sort of pushed me away over time from Elvis is that the bitterness kind of got to be too much. It build up, it builds up in, in your um you know, uh, in, in your muscles, the way that that what is it, lactase or whatever it is, builds up when you're when you're when you're you know trying to lift weights, and then you you just don't have the ability to lift anymore, and, and you just get tired of it. Uh, this album is a blessed relief to that because he's never been more vulnerable, never written more nakedly sentimental, but in an honest way, songs than on something like "I'll Wear It Proudly." 
with that chorus, you know, uh, you know, I finally found someone to turn me upside down and nail my feet back where my head should be. If they had a king of fools, then I would wear that crown and you could all die laughing because I'll wear it proudly. And then the, that beautiful organ just plays behind him. And it almost feels like you're in a, a country church. And it's just so honest, so straightforward. It has the cleverness that you associate with an Elvis Costello lyric, but none of the bitterness and none of, you know, you know the 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 snark or the irony well, I finally found someone to turn me upside down and nail my feet up where my head should be if they had a king of fools then I could wear that crown and you cannot die laughing because I'll wear it proudly I'll wear it proudly And then to contrast with that, right on, you flip the side over. And then you have American Without Tears, which is how side two of this record opens. American Without Tears, gosh, it may make my top five at the end of this. This is a song he, he wrote, and he was sitting in a, you know, a, like a, in a bar in a hotel in Miami or something like that on tour. And he, he, he just happened to be next to these two women, these older women who were like GI brides from England who were just commiserating with one another about their experiences. And he introduced himself. He was like, hey, you know, uh, I'm Elvis Costello. And they're like, oh, I think we've heard of you. And they just talked. And he used their, their biography and their story in this story song. And then, you know, he, he, he just paints this really, really um, – moving tale of like women who were like you know romanced by the you know the soldiers over in england you know when they're coming over you know to do like the, the invasion in normandy in world war or world war ii and then they come to america <clears throat> they're uprooted from everything they've known and then maybe their marriages fall apart or things go wrong and they uh find themselves stranded and they find themselves you know almost as if they they've left one country but not fully adopted another one so what's that 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 choral lyric is like we seems we've been crying for years and for years now i don't speak any english just american without tears just american without tears and then in the final chorus you have again the accordion just comes in this beautiful accordion uh and it, you know it, it, elvis is moaning over the background and the chords keep recycling and going back over and over as it fades out it's one of the most dramatic but not in a pompous way, but most profound and sort of simply dramatic moments of Costello's entire career.
there are two other songs that I want to talk about here. I, I could talk about all of them, but I, I just think that, that you can't say enough about Suit of Lights, which is the only, you know, Scott mentioned it, it's the only one on this album that features the attractions. Ironically enough, it doesn't sound like it would be an attractions piece, but then you think of the attractions as, you know, they did stuff like, you know, Every Day I Write the Book and New Lace Sleeves, they had subtlety within them for sure. And so this is one of the angriest songs that Elvis Costello wrote, but not angry, not misogynistic, just angry at like watching people disrespect his father and, and, and maybe sort of the way that an artist relates to an audience. Uh, you know, he's with outside, they're painting tar on somebody. It's the closest to a work of art that they will ever be. Uh, it's really, really angry and dismissive about sort of the... Uh, the nabobs who hoot and holler and catcall at you when you play for pennies in a pub and you get no respect. And I think maybe even he felt that way as he was, you know, uh, you know, treading the boards as a, an international rock star, but that this, it's all about Steve Naive on that. You know, he plays both the piano and the organ. He, he overdubs himself and his probably one of the three or four greatest piano performances that he ever gave on that song. And this the last one i have to mention is jack of all parades this is a song that i played at my wedding uh, that's that's how important this song has been to me all through my life the, the minute i heard it i was like i don't know why i hadn't heard why was this not a greatest hit i guess i can understand it's it's long it's like five and a half minutes long or something like that um but it is the single greatest ballad that Elvis Costello ever wrote in his life. And again, there's no there's no irony there's no snark there's just sort of uh, a soul-bearing honesty. You know, when we first met, I didn't know what to do. My old love lines were all worn out on you. And, uh, you know, he talks about, like, I've, I've gone through my life being a clever man. I've gone through my life being a person who, who trades in all of these things and you know, is always smarter than everybody else in the room, or at least thinks he is. But then you've laid me low. You've you've revealed all of my insecurities. You understood my flaws, and you accepted me anyways. You pretended not to notice or be taken aback, and I loved you there and then. It's as simple as that. And that's all he had to write. And and then he has that course, that beautiful, beautiful chorus. And, and Scott already mentioned it. That ending with the with the the tone pedal on the guitar as it fades out, and then Steve Naive comes in on the piano. Um, this is music that works on a level of subtlety that I, I have to give Elvis his point that you probably wouldn't have gotten this with the attractions, even though ironically Steve Naive is on that song. There's a level of subtlety in the instrumental 
playing on this record that you never heard in anything he had done before. And this time, for once, maybe in the best sense of his career, it's all put to fantastic use. People, please, you've got to hear King of America. It's one of Elvis Costello's titanic achievements. you hear king of america you might want to continue into the other release from 1986 which uh, is is more of a back to basics sort of album and it, the attractions are back in full form on blood and chocolate nick lowe is producing the attractions are banging and clanking this is a loud record now i don't know if you guys knew this i was shocked when i saw this blood and chocolate is the lowest charting u.s album of pop music, you know, we'll put aside some of the collaborations of pop music, pop music in Elvis Costello's career. Which you want to know what's even more shocking? Spike is the highest charting. So <laughs> go figure, right? The eighties were weird, clearly. Yes, uh, I were like three years apart. Right. Uh, I love Blood and Chocolate. This is the I think I mentioned in the last episode. This is uh, one of the albums I picked up as part of the Rhino reissues that I didn't know anything about at all. And, uh, and from the first chord of the album, which is on Uncomplicated, uh, where that describes both the song uh, and the lyrics, um, I, I fell in love with Blood and Chocolate. This, this, uh, this very aggressive sound, uh, it's kind of a, uh, it's not just like th- th- this year's model, of course, but in terms of aggressiveness and in terms of, of tone, there's a lot of similarities there. Uh, Uncomplicated is just this this basher of a song, of course, produced by Nick Lowe with a simple rhythm. Uh, I, I love that kind with, of... With one chord. It's one got, chord, right. Uh, maybe it has a second chord that he had to throw in merely because he couldn't just keep playing the one chord. <laughs> but it's like, it's the simplest thing he ever wrote, purely, by far. I, and I, I love that, that like wobble, 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 wobble sound that, that goes through the entire track. Um, you think it's over now, but this is only the beginning. Blood and chocolate I hope you're satisfied with you You think it's over now 
about sound effects even better is when he says a horse that knows arithmetic and then yes. you hear clank 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 clank, <laughs> clank 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 like it's clever hans you know the horse that could like you know supposedly add by pounding his hoofs on the ground at some point i had i literally counted the number of clanks so i knew how many to sort of hit as i was listening back to the song um i i love steve naive's uh on the chorus he comes in and and his chords are so much slower than the beat it sort of gives the the, the song a lot of texture uh, uncomplicated kicks things off very well. I hope you're happy now. Is uh, I don't even I don't think it was even released as a single from this album. For some reason, Tokyo Storm Warning was the single, the six and a half minute song. But I hope you're happy now. Is classic Elvis Costello and the Attractions. Um, it would fit anywhere previously on his career. Um, Bruce Thomas's bass line is so crazy fun in this song. Go back and listen to it specifically. And uh, and what a line to I I knew th- I knew then what I know now I never loved you anyhow right mm-hmm. at the end and repeated over and over toward the end of the track what a great one uh, Dude, this song this song is the arrangement is so upbeat and it's so like explosive yes. and it sounds so happy that you don't realize what a vicious and angry piece of music it is Absolutely. if you listen to those lyrics it is a nasty song. Another upbeat song uh, sounding is Blue Chair, which uh, I think was a single at one point. But but go back, if, if you find the single version for whatever reason, the album version is so much superior, so far superior in my in my estimation. Uh, the, the, the escalation of that chorus, my turn to talk, your turn to think, your turn to buy, my turn to drink, up and up and up. It's very pouncy. He almost sounds like uh, like John Lennon-esque when he's growling in, the, yes. in that chorus as his voice is going up. It's 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 It's... Uh, you know, Elvis has a very distinct style, and on, uh, particularly on that chorus, it sounds like he's doing something different. There's a ton of Lennon and Blue Cheer, uh, all the way to the the whoa, 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 uh, into the final verse, uh, is very Lennon-esque as well. Uh, but Blue Cheer features, I think, uh, some great vocal work by, by Elvis. Down in the blue chair, we can watch our troubles rise like smoke into the air and drift up to the ceiling. Down in the The 
back half of this album is really good too. Next time around, that closes things off is is a band song. I love the way the attractions sound on next time around. And then two ones kind of sandwiched in between. Battered old bird is a is a lengthy one. One where he really goes for it vocally. He's only played it one time live since 1987. It's a tough one to kind of pull off, but. It's one of those lyrical universes that exists in and of itself. Um, you know, he, he creates these characters, this place uh, that exists in Battered Old Bird. There's a trick later on uh, in, the, in the song like uh, what, Strawberry Fields Forever where they, where they graft two different takes together uh, on Battered Old Bird. It's a really good one. And I love Crimes of Paris as well. It's, uh, it's bouncy, but it's ominous at the same time. And the lyrics is... The lyrics and the lyric are, uses, uses one of my favorite lines from Jack of All Parades, where you can't keep your mind off the crimes of Paris. Yes. And then he just went straight yeah. up, recycled it for the next <laughs> uh, and, and, and this is a classic Costello tune, too, in that the lyrics... Part of what makes the lyrics effective is the way they sound, right? And the way that they play against the, uh, the melody behind them. Um, this is... I don't know if it's quite the accomplishment as, of as uh, King, King of America. Jeff, I'm sure, would agree with that. But Blood and Chocolate is a really solid one back to forth, uh, back uh, to front, I should say. Okay, Scott and Anthony, I want to ask you guys, because this is, this is maybe a point of controversy for me, maybe the reason why I'm not as much of a fan of Blood and Chocolate as, as everybody else is. What do you think about I Want You? The longest song on this record, one of his most famous songs, certainly one of his most celebrated songs among Elvis Costello fans. I've never liked it. I get what's he, what it's going for. It is his dark, claustrophobic, suffocatingly dark uh, song. You know, this is "I Want You" as sung by Ted Bundy. This is a serial killer. This is, a, you know, nah, nah. It's not that bad, but it's this is an angry, enraged song of jealousy yeah. and you know, you know, sexual aggrievement. Um, and I don't like that weird folk introduction. I don't particularly care for its repetitiveness. Um, I've never been impressed by this, but I seem to be the only person who doesn't like it. So I want to know, am I entirely alone or do you guys huge fans? I am not, which is why I didn't mention it. Um, and, and again, I, I like you know that it's a very big favorite of, of many Castello fans, but I, I, I don't really like that song that much. Um, Anthony? Uh, I do like it. Uh, I cannot say that... Uh... Uh, you know, I, I, I search it out if I'm on Spotify. Like, I've got to hear I want you right now. But uh, if I'm listening to Blood and Chocolate all the way through, uh, I absolutely appreciate its uh, place on the album. Uh, to me, it's like like a great Leonard Cohen song, you know, like a story song that's really, really frightening. Um, and I do like the, the, the folk intro um, because that almost makes it scarier. Like, the, the, the folk intro is, is, is sort of a a mournful love song and then there's that nasty boom, you know that uh, you know the, the the one note on the string um which which you know almost sounds like a gong kicking off something horrible about to happen <laughs> uh and one thing that i've found um over the you know over the years is it, i used to think of it as like a really really frightening song now i think of it as more of a pathetic song like the narrator uh as the the, the person singing the song as the song goes on uh, it's, it starts off with this really horrible, menacing kind of threatening uh, tone, and then by the end, it's just pathetic. It's it's the guy um, or whoever the narrator is uh, speaking to, asking his lover uh, if 
if her, her current lover is uh, a better lover than he is. Um, it's it's it kind of it, it starts off like a murder ballad and then sort of unravels. Um, and so for that, I, I, I do like it. It's way, way too long. But that's a problem with even some of the good songs on this album. As you said, you know, Elvis, his records, we got too long and his songs got too long, even when they were good at this point in his career. I want you. I'm not ashamed to say I cried for you. I want you, I want to know the things you did that we do too. I want you, I want to hear he pleases you more than I do. I want you, I might as well be useless for all it means to you. I want you, did you call his name out as it held you down? want you oh no my darling not with that clown i want you well i gotta tell you i tell you you know one song i don't think is too long at all would be the other one i was going to compare i want you with which is tokyo storm warning it should never have been released as a single doomed to fail in the charts but man, uh, that is Elvis's greatest long song. Uh, yeah, that and it's time, which maybe is, is quite quite a different, you know, cut from a quite different cloth. I don't know. I, I, what do you think about Tokyo Storm Morning? I love Tokyo Storm Morning. Uh, ah. Tokyo Storm. It's it's so weird uh, that it was a sing- single, and uh, it, it was on one of the Radco Disc Greatest Hits. To me, like Tokyo Storm Morning is almost like his Desolation Row. Because it's just you know it's just one uh, one or two chords going over and over again, but it's some of Elvis's best uh, lyricism. You know, a lot of wordplay. Like there's so much going on, and, and just the way Dylan's Desolation Row, you know, has just so many so many great turns of phrases. But you're not even sure if there really is a story here. I'm not really sure there's a story, uh, a, a linear story with Tokyo Storm Warning. But there are so many great. Like I'm looking at the lyrics right now. There's so many uh, images. There's that one right. line where it's a Japanese god, Jesus, robots telling teenage <laughs> fortunes. For all we know and all we care, they might as well be Martians. And then there's the great line: "They're so tired of shooting protest singers that they hardly even mention us." Which yeah. I just I just imagine like some South American regime is like you know like you. Know, giving like protest singers helicopter rides or something terrible like that but i don't know where elvis got that image from but it has stayed with me since 1996 which is the year i discovered it it's just all these these grand great random images thrown them and i love the comparison to desolation row that it actually that actually feels exactly right to me and the line that was jumping out at me was you look around the tiny room and you wonder where the hell you are while the kkk convention are all stranded in the bar I've been there. They <laughs> <I'm a laughs> wear their hoods and carry shotguns, but their helpless yeah. here is babies because they're only here on holiday. Yeah, so I'm I'm a big Tokyo Storm Warning fan, and uh, while it's insanely long, it's one of those things where like the melody is so fun and it's so upbeat and it's got a swing to it that I'm, I'm never you know five minutes into it I'm like, can this song end already? It's just to me, it's just odd and and sort of out of the the post punk ethos to be that long, but I do love it. Don't mind that it's long.
and I'm, I, you know, uh, Scott mentioned both Crimes of Paris and Blue Chair. I love both those songs, so I really don't have tremendous much to add. But I do want to single out I Hope You're Happy Now as one of Elvis's quintessential songs. Uh, as you said, it's, uh, it's angry as all hell, but it also has, you know, perfect melody. The band is tight as ever. I love the way... Um, the, the guitar kicks in before uh, he's done finishing his lyric. Uh, he's, a, he's a fine figure of a man, handsome too. And right before the two, the guitar's already in there. I love that. Um, and it, it, I mean, uh, to, to get a little personal, um, you know, there, there, was a, there was a time maybe about 13 years ago where I uh, lost some good friends at a, at a young age. And as I used to do when I had time for this kind of thing, I... Uh, a big part of my therapy was uh, making mixtapes, whether whether it was mixtapes or mixed CDs or even MP3 playlists. So it was it got to that point. Yeah, you and, and me both, uh, man. Yeah, I know, I know that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's more effective and more accurate than journal journal writing. Like when I look back at these mixes, I do get a sense of where I was at the time. Uh, and so uh, there 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 was one, you know, my magnum opus on this, uh, you know, <laughs> tragic tale was uh, was uh, a three part mix I made, and the middle one was the angriest one and really if it distilled it down to it, it, there's so much anger on it that i can't listen to it it's it's just too painful but i hope you're happy now captures uh the the, the anger but also like the the pathos like okay I've, I've i'm leaving you with this this is my kiss off you know? enjoy that i mean i i think the only criticism i would level against blood and chocolate other than the fact that i don't like i want you that much is that uh <laughs> there are a couple of tracks somewhere in the middle of it that don't really do much for me i mean does anybody really need to hear honey are you straight or are you blind or um you know does anybody really need to hear uh, poor napoleon it's not a bad song it's not a great song battered old bird is always one of those songs that i wanted to like more than i did i like the first half of it i think that edit is really ungainly and i don't think it works i think they made the best of what they could but uh you know i, I always feel like it was like a good concept that doesn't actually get executed as well as it could but you know the the excitement and the idea of you know elvis is back he's playing this angry aggressive loud rock music with the attractions bright things bode well for the future no you would have been completely wrong because what happens next elvis goes completely silent for two and a half years <laughs> he takes two and a half years to make his next album and his next album isn't made with the attractions the attractions are gone his uh, relationship with, with bruce thomas in particular their bassist had gotten so toxic to the point where he was just tired of working with them and he said i gotta i gotta go do other things with other people i can't work with you people anymore i'm done and so he spent two and a half years to make his first album for his new record label warner brothers that album is called spike two and a half years in the making and i would like to spend two and a half minutes on it if I could because uh, for an album that was this worried over this worked over <clears throat> I'm almost appalled at how bad I think it is and this by the way should be a shot because this is the album where he was working collaborating with none other than Paul McCartney yep. for several of these songs and by the way the Paul McCartney songs most of them pretty good all right not all of them mm -hmm. there's like some bad stuff like pads paws and claws which almost <laughs> sounds like you know a honey pie kind of a thing like you know that's the kind of crap that mccartney would write on a you know uh, trying to think press to play like one of those really bad 80s mccartney <laughs> albums um 
but Veronica is just um, Veronica is a song that I love so much, uh, but is is hard for me to listen to these days because my wife can't deal with it. My wife uh, lost her grandmother to Alzheimer's disease. This is a song. It's a very upbeat pop song. Very, very you know almost like the bubble gum is just oozing out out of the speakers it's a very very pleasing happy upbeat song until you listen to the lyrics and the lyrics are about an old woman who used to be young and vibrant and had a a wild and crazy life where she did all sorts of fascinating things but now you know she's not even sure if her name is veronica and she's you know people who steal her clothes like she's in in an old folks home where people are stealing her stuff and you know there's that that last line and then i I remember my wife crying when she heard it and she's like i can't listen to the song anymore veronica sits in her favorite chair and she sits very quiet and still and they call her a name that they never get right but if they don't and if they don't then nobody else will but she used to have a carefree mind of her own and a devilish look in her eyes saying you can call me anything you like but my name is veronica it's a beautiful lyric Cartney did such a good job banging that melody into shape. The song itself is perfect. everything else on this album had lived up to the level of Veronica, it would be his greatest record. But unfortunately, so little of it does. And this is the moment where he just starts experimenting with all of these disparate styles. I mean, even he admitted, he says like, you know, Warner Brothers told me that they, you know, they'll give me basically an unlimited budget. I can make any album I want. And I decided to make five different albums simultaneously <laughs> and hand it to them all at once. And it, sh- it sounds like that. I really dislike Spike, um, and this is the first one I got of the reissues that I didn't feel the need to sort of play into the ground. I returned to it a few times. It's still not doing much for me, and it's, you know, he actually he actually wanted to use the attractions on some of these tracks, but uh, Steve Naive uh, particularly did not want to do it that way. He's like, use us at all of them or don't use us at all. He's like, all right, I'm not going to use you at all, although I think Pete Thomas plays on one track. Uh, T-Bone Burnett is is producing Spike. As, as Jeff mentioned, there's a lot of money into the production. There's a lot of money into the album. And I guess they got what they wanted. It, it sold, and they got a, a hit in Veronica. But, man, the rest of this album, I have such a difficult time uh, putting my arms around. And when I said I don't think Goodbye, Cruel World is, is Elvis Costello's worst album, I, I think Spike is worse than Goodbye, Cruel World. Um, there are and two- there's always North. Yes, there's North to come. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's there's two songs, I mean, really, two songs that I think are really worth saving off a of spike. One is uh, Deep Dark Truthful Mirror, which is, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. Uh, mm-hmm. Alan Toussaint plays piano. Dirty Dozen Brass Band plays horns. Um, and, and it's just this, this song about, you know, walking away from someone to kind of save yourself. Uh, and that very first line, you know, uh, one of these days you're going to look into deep, dark, truthful mirror, and it's going to tell you things that I still love you too much to say. Um, and that, it, when the chorus begins, the horns kick in, that really takes me someplace. One day you're going to have to face a deep, dark, truthful mirror. And it's gonna tell you things that I still love you too much to say The sky was just a purple bruise The 
ground was dying And you fell all around the town Until you looked the same God's Comic is always a song that I liked, and he had pulled that one out at one of the recent shows I saw him in a play in Detroit. Oh, I would have loved to have seen him play that. That's that's, and, that's maybe actually my favorite song on this record. Yeah, and he absolutely nailed it. Um, the live version, he just sells it to the hilt. The vocals are amazing. Uh, you know, God's Comic is kind of his version of, of like a Randy Newman song. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, the music really complements the lyrics very well. Um, it, I always figured that was where the cover came from. This is one of his best album covers, ironically It is enough. a good album cover, yes. It's, it's, it's his head mounted like a moose head or something like that, you know, on the wall of a cabin. Uh, but under the, it's like the Warner Brothers logo, and he's like painted up and like, uh, like, like a jester. And then underneath it says the beloved entertainer, and he has this goofy <laughs> like gap tooth grin and his big glasses on. And it's a great it, – it, the cover made you think it would be a great album, but it wasn't. But that's what God's comic is all about. Like now I'm dead. Now yeah. I'm dead. Now I'm dead. And all the, all those little dead, 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 dead in the background. Oh, yeah. it's so wonderful. Yeah, it just nailed that. He was almost singing without a microphone at that point during the show because he was so passionate into the delivery of the, the vocals for God's comic. A slam on Andrew Lloyd Webber. Uh, God listening and saying, I prefer that one about my son. Uh, contemplating maybe he should have given the world to the monkeys, uh, not the band, but the actual animal. Uh, God's comic is really pulled off very well. Those are the two. Those are the two songs: "Deep Dark Truthful Mirror" and "God's Comic." And and boy, the rest, uh, Veronica too. The rest is really tough for me to to, to recommend to, to anyone. Uh, so I'm gonna surprise you. I don't hate Spike as much as you guys. Um, I, my biggest problem with it, uh, like a lot of things produced around this time, is the just drips with 80s production so even songs that uh i think are redeemable like this town like i like the song i just don't really ever want to listen to it because it's so overproduced it just the best um, thing about this town is it's it's full title which it's not called this town it's you're nobody till everybody in this town thinks you're a bastard which to me is like the quintessential washington dc song (laughs) <laughs> and uh you know um scott pulled uh, a little bit of my thunder because i too think deep dark truth deep dark truthful mirror is brilliant i love that i really actually love that song and i'm fine with the production on this album uh god's comic is we- good weird eldest as we discussed uh, in the last show very weird and i enjoy the hell out of it uh i don't hate pad's 
Buzz. Like it's silly. I think it's kind of a throwaway thing. But I, I saw him perform it live with Steve Naive, just him, a guitar and a piano. And uh, I, that, I think that was the first time I had really remembered hearing it. I, I, mean, I don't know if it registered if I had heard it before, but I enjoyed that. I kind of like any King's shilling. Uh, chewing gum. I made a, I made a point to, to. I wrote chewing gum. Yuck. <laughs> but that's easily my least favorite. One. And to go back to Veronica, because I mentioned Veronica was my uh, entree into Elvis Costello. I saw the video on MTV and I went and rewatched uh, the video. Uh, and it, even for its time, it's, it's different because, it, you know, MTV has always been about youth culture. And at this point, Elvis is in his mid to late 30s and he's, he's sitting in, uh, in an old folks' home, for lack of a better phrase. And he has a little narration before the song starts where he talks about sitting with his grandmother and bouncing around the years with her. Basically, the way he was able to deal with, um, you know, having a relationship with her at this point was to just kind of go where she went. You know, if he's sitting in the room, he'll, you know, she'll be in the 50s or the 40s. And, and as long as you go with her, you can have an OK time. She'll be on the Empress and of while, India, you know, exactly. Yeah, and while um, while, while in, in the video itself, like the, you know, the track is playing, it's like a, it, but there's no lip syncing. He doesn't lip sync anything. Uh, but during the chorus, you hear his voice kind of like talk singing over the track it's a very interesting choice and really uh it was striking for its time that he's you know he's he's, he's refusing to lip sync but he's kind of churlishly um you know and uh, i too find, you know find this really emotional um i my, three of my four grandparents were dead before i was born the one that i knew uh had dementia and died when i was in junior high what was my experience with grandparents was just that they weren't there anymore that they were shell of themselves this is a uh, it's it's like the best Elvis Costello stuff. It's so deceptively pop and bubblegum and upbeat, and it's such a heartbreakingly sad song uh, all the way through. And uh, like even right now, it's, it's it's really emotionally affecting. Just um, you know, seeing these lyrics in front of me and you know remembering uh, like learning what you know the significance of that song was as a, as a kid. I was probably about ten or eleven years old when this song was big, and when when it came out. And it was a big part of the reason why I, I gravitated towards Elvis Costello. I was like, so for that alone, I, I, I can't hate Spike. Uh, there's, there's just there's enough nuggets of good stuff on this thing that I don't uh, don't rate it as low as Goodbye Cruel World. But I'm glad he didn't revisit this stuff, and I'm glad the the disgusting '80s sheen was no longer a, a thing after this. Well, I mean. Was it or was it not? Because, okay, first of all, before mm -hmm. I get to Mighty Like a Rose, the question mm -hmm. that needs to be addressed is, does anybody have any thoughts about Kojak Variety, which was recorded right after these sessions, wasn't released until several years later. This is Elvis Costello's, like, album of covers. Like, I'm going to go show you all the fun, cool stuff that I know in my, like, little uh, personal jukebox. I don't actually think it's as bad as its reputation is, is given. I mean, most people are like, okay, Elvis Costello just recording a bunch of other people's songs. Uh, why would I care about that? Well, the reason you might care about that is because he's got a pretty good band. He's got Pete Thomas is there, and he's got all those guys, you know, the the Mark Rybot, and, you know, he's got T-Bone, and he's got a lot of the, you know, James Burton. He's got a lot of the guys that he'd been making these last few albums with, and they come up with some pretty decent covers. But I don't really think there's anything too terribly interesting about it so unless anybody has any deep thoughts about it i'd prefer to move on to his next big studio album which is mighty like a rose i have one my, quick... my 
one note on Kojak Variety that I wrote for myself was lightweight, no real highlights. So I'm happy to have fun. <laughs> I do like his version of Days by the Kinks, actually, which I didn't think I would. But The one note I will pass along will be familiar to people who have heard our cover song episode of Political Beats because uh, on Kojak Variety is a version of James Carr's Pouring Water on a Drowning Man, which I think is okay. If you go back to the, I think it's the Blood and Chocolate. Blood and Chocolate, disc two, the Rhino disc. Yep, the Rhino reissue of Blood and Chocolate on disc two. There is a a solo acoustic version of Ellis playing around with pouring water on a drowning man, and it is so far superior to the Kojak variety version. It is also one of my favorite ever recordings, period, that Elvis Costello did, uh, certainly of a cover. I think he just nails it and, and vocally is pristine, just outstanding on that version. So don't have to head to Kojak Variety. Look for the Rhino Blood and Chocolate Disc 2, Pouring Water on a Drowning Man. You put me on the right track And then you put me down You stab me in the back Every time I turn around Criticize my loving When I'm doing the very best I can You're pouring water On a drowning man You're pouring water On a drowning man You treat me like Salt in my wounds It's sad but it's true You want me with your kisses And of course that takes us to, to Mighty Like a Rose uh, which is uh, Elvis Costello getting even weirder. This is this is the equivalent of a, of a guy who uh, you know signs a big major league contract and immediately starts tanking on purpose. Um, <laughs> or, or begins but, thinking too much about what this he's is, doing. This right? is like the Albert Pujols contract for the Angels. <laughs> like you know he was so great with the Cardinals and then all of a sudden he put he puts out one good season and then just starts to tank. Um, but I don't know if I would call this tanking. I, I actually would make a strong defense of a lot of the music on this record. I think it's a better album that people give it credit for. This is almost his attempt. I don't think people talk about it in these terms, but I think it should be seen in these terms. This is his attempt at a reprise of uh, Imperial Bedroom. It has many of those same sort of ornate and uh, Baroque, perhaps, production ticks. This it opens with the other side of summer, which is the every artist. I, I, I'll joke that every artist, if they if they they stick around long enough, is going to do two things. They're going to try to do a version of Fleetwood Mac's Tusk rhythm beat, and they're going to try to do a Beach Boys pastiche. So, like you know, XTC survived long enough to make Season Cycle on Skylarking. Elvis Costello was around long enough to do the Other Side of Summer, and I gotta say, both of those songs are fantastic. <laughs> I love the Other Side of Summer. People. They're like, oh, it's too dense. It's too ornate. I don't. What, what song? Are you, if you if you like sowing the seeds of love by Tears for Fears, which came out maybe a couple years before this, how could you not like the other side of summer? <laughs> it's got some of the funniest lyrics that he did from this era, where uh, he said <clears throat> he's taking a shot at John Lennon said, yes. and Pink Floyd for that yep. matter, Anthony, because you know you were a guest for that episode before. Was it a millionaire who said, "Imagine no possessions"? poor little schoolboy who said we don't need no lessons which of course is basically we don't need no education another brick in the wall mm-hmm. and, and it's just these great soaring course the rabid rebel dogs ransack the shampoo shop and you know 
the pop princess is downtown shooting up. And if that goddess is fit for burden, the sun will s- struggle up. The will- world will still keep turning. And it also opens with that great couple, which I it's again great. used as a sign off to my emails yes. uh, for years. The sun struggles up another beautiful day. And I felt glad in my own suspicious way. <laughs> it's a, I, very I, paranoid. I heard this song described sometime as uh, a born in the USA f- for the beach boys. Meaning if you're not paying attention to what's actually happening, Hey, born in the USA, real patriotic anthem. Other side of summer, but just about how great summer is. Not quite. No, not no. quite. And, then mm-hmm. ends with, and now you can't afford to fake all the drugs your parents used to take. In spite of their mistakes, you better be wide awake. Oh, that play out. That play out. I mean, that's could even be the best part of the song. Just the way it ends with the dancing was desperate and the music was worse. I think this is a great intro to an album that has too much Joss. Does anybody need to hear Invasion Hit Parade or Harpy's Bazaar, you know, or All Grown Up, which is a good song that he did wrong by? No, but uh, there are a lot of others like hidden gems on this, including the one written by his wife. Kato Reardon wrote a song called Broken. It's the penultimate song on this record. Um, I think those last two songs, that and Couldn't Call It Unexpected, number four, which I know Anthony said he talked about watching Elvis sing live. Those are both great songs. There are a lot of hidden gems on this record, which is probably one of his most neglected albums, and I think unjustly so. It's weird that you like you know you've said a couple times. I think this album's better than its reputation. I really don't even know anything about this reputation. <laughs> I don't. I, it's it's, it's an under-discussed album. Like I've had this album for a very long time. I actually remember, uh, you know, I went to college in Boston and I used to walk by uh, Looney Tunes Records on Boylston Street, and I never had any money in college, but they had tapes and they would sell tapes for a dollar. And so I would uh, fill the holes in my Elvis Costello collection and others by buying tapes. And I. I this one, I was like, how did I never hear this album? I knew I knew of Spike, I knew of uh, Brutal Youth, but I didn't know anything about Mighty Like a Rose. And yeah, The Other Side of Summer, another great opening track from Elvis Costello, the perfect way to kick off a, an album. And, you know, yes, the, the, the John Lennon and Roger Waters digs are great, uh, but 
before the uh, the final the other side of summer over and over again there's the the list that he's banging out the casual killers the military curfew the cardboard city and the unwanted birthday the other side of summer Ooh, wow you know that's uh, that's some heavy stuff uh, the you know going through it another song that um, we've alluded to a bunch of times including in the opening of this show how to be done um, which is of course is kiss off to his uh, one time and future bassist um, and uh, a great song that uh, it, even even without the lyrical significance I just think is great to listen to uh, I don't I don't dislike all grown up I think all grown up is is a good song that yeah. I, it, it's a little uh, the strings make it a little overwrought but I, I do think it's a, a great song um, uh, you know talk kind of it's a little condescending talking down to somebody uh, who hasn't earned the weariness that sounds so jaded on their tongue I uh, enjoy that a lot I think sweet pear is a beautiful um, another another you know uh, love song that's clearly about a relationship that's falling apart um and uh i think the, the last line in, the, in that song is i am your stupid lover your wretched groom uh you know that's a it's real you know he, he he nails emotions uh and it doesn't surprise me that uh kate his wife at the time who was the uh bass player in the pogues uh was in contributing creatively and um i'm totally with you harpy's bizarre is annoying georgie and her rival is a mess um uh, but couldn't call it unexpected. Uh, great way to kick off, uh, I mean, great way to end the album. And uh, as I said, I, I saw him sing it uh, with just Steve Naive's piano and Elvis singing out into the hall uh, with no microphone. The, he, he's done that a bunch of times. You can actually find that on YouTube. And uh, yep. I, think, I think when he had a Showtime show or, or an IFC show. It was, a, it was uh, an A&E by request, so people would oh, call. Right. And, yeah, that, that's what it's from. <laughs> yeah. So I highly recommend you go into YouTube and I couldn't get live uh, to see that performance. Um, the, thing about, the, thing about, like, the thing about couldn't call it unexpected that's so weird is that it, you, you first hear it playing, it sounds like clown music. It sounds like yeah. carousel music, like you're riding on the, on the horse yeah. going around in a circle, and you think this is another one of his stupid experiments. This is a failure. And then the song develops – and, and you, you listen to, you know, I, I can't believe I'll never believe in anything again. And, you know, then those those weird clown sonics take on a weird moving valence. And and all of a sudden it, it becomes it resolves itself into something that actually, you know, can move you when, when he when, when he sings at the top of his lungs. Please don't let me fear anything I cannot explain. It's um, again, it, it should not work. And it works and it works. Maybe it works better when he does it live. But I think the studio version is still really good. So I mean, and also like to, to note, you know, you got me thinking about it. 
you know, Elvis always kind of stayed within his range as a singer. He's pushing himself here. He's really, you know, it's 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 as close to Pavarotti as he's going to get. You know, he's really laying it out on the line there. And uh, so just, you know, to wrap up my thoughts on this album, I, I didn't know that it had a reputation of being, you know, one of his weaker ones. But just by virtue of the five songs that I really like on this one, I mean, the, the five songs that I really like, I really, really like. And, um, you know, I wouldn't want them to be deleted from his catalog. <laughs> I think this is um, middling might be might be the word I use. You know, if, if he was trying to recreate Imperial Bedroom, I think he's got the wrong producer. Uh, Mitchell Froome did co-producing on this. He'd produce the next album. And I, I don't know if he's capable of, of pulling off maybe what the vision was because I, I don't think the production helps a lot of the songs here on, on Mighty Like a Rose. Um, there is some uh, So Like Candy, which I think was one of the singles. Uh, this is like a Chris Isaac feel in the verses, but then a very classic Elvis chorus. Uh, I agree with it's Anthony. It's another one of his Paul McCartney collaborations, yes. too. Yes. And I, have- I, I think All Grown Up, I uh, agree with Anthony, is, is pretty good. A lot of strings, a little overblown, but but but, but it works. Uh, How to Be Dumb, as Anthony talked about, this kiss-off song to uh, to Bruce Thomas. Man, it is just full of accusations and confront it's confrontational uh, it's just bitter and caustic and it would hit home a lot more if you didn't call him two and a half years later to come back and play with him i mean like for a song as good as how to be dumb is as a as a you know get the get the blank out of here kind of song you'd like it to be permanent i don't know uh you should, you should sing it right before you stab him to death in right, the floor, right. like julius caesar right yeah. not call him up and ask to play out a session i mean i mean now you're masquerading as a pale powder genius whose every bad intention has been purged you could have walked out anytime you wanted but face it you didn't have the courage um that's just that's just part i mean there's so many great lines in how to be dumb set to a really uh, aggressive uh set of music as you might expect with those lyrics now you're I like the other side of summer too, but again, I think there are more misses uh, than successful songs on Mighty Like a Rose. So this brings us to the era uh, where Elvis Costello suddenly gets real forcibly weird. Uh, What do we do about the first of his 
what would soon become many extracurricular activities, collaborations with other artists. Uh, this is the moment where Elvis Costello decided, hey, I'm going to do a neoclassical album. I'm going to do an album with a string quartet, the Brodsky Quartet, and I'm going to I'm going to base it on perhaps the most pretentious conceit imaginable. It's a, it's an album about – it's called The Juliet Letters. And what is it about? It's about some professor in uh, Verona, which is where uh, I believe uh, – Verona, Milan, some northern Italian city uh, <laughs> where Romeo and Juliet is set and who was receiving letters that had been mailed to him by like various people who were moved by like Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. They were writing to Romeo and Juliet. He would write them back. And uh, so, you know, Elvis is like, oh, that's a great idea. I think, I, you know, I'll come up with these various vignettes, the lyrical vignettes. And so what happens is that, you know, he writes this music. He learns to read and write um, notation formally for the first time. Uh, and he puts it together in this, this classical album. There isn't a single instrument on this that isn't strings. Uh, and a lot of people like to make fun of this as the first of his many pretentious moves. I have to say, I'm curiously in love with the Julia Letters. I think it's a far better album that people give it credit for being. I don't think all of it works, but I think that enough of it works. And particularly the high drama moments like Taking My Life in Your Hands or I Almost Had a Weakness or The Birds Will Still Be Singing. That There's, there's, there's enough of value here that it should be heard by people who are fans of Elvis's. He's done a lot of bad and kind of unworthy collaborations in later years. Stuff that like where he's sort of ostentatiously trying to step outside of his milieu to prove that he can do any any kind of genre of music that he wants and i guess all he ends up actually proving when he does this is that like well no actually you know what y you have a, a strong suit and you should probably stick to it but i really do like the juliet letters i don't know if you guys have given this one much much thought uh but i, I did want to speak up on its behalf well, I'm glad you did because I just I it's never done enough for me to that that I could even like parse out any of the songs. So I'm gonna totally pass on this one. And I'm in the same boat. So it's all it's all you, Jeff. <laughs> well, <That's important. laughs> the thing I want to say about it is that it, you know you, you talk about how uh, when, when Elvis Costello would sing, couldn't call it unexpected, you know, live solo, and he would do it a cappella uh, and with without any microphone, he would just you know project from his chest and get that loud sound. Uh, you hear a lot of that in these in these songs, like taking my life in your hands is just a really amazing, dramatic, lyrical, you know, basically saying, like, if you don't love me, I will die. I, 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 I am bereft without you. Everything depends upon you. Please love me back. You know, a very desperate plea. And, and it's matched to, I think, what is just a fantastic musical, a very sympathetic musical accompaniment, stark, not pathetic, not, you know, glurgy or crappy, you know, not like uh, Matavani, nothing like that. It's much more Eleanor Rigby style uh, by the Brodsky Quartet. I Oh, true life. 
and I, I think that that and then also uh, one that he basically wrote solo uh, not as a collaboration but just all by himself which is The Birds Will Still Be Singing it's the final song on this album where he says you know banish all despair you know forget every sorrow if I'm lost or unforgiven the birds will still be singing I think he wrote it when he uh, survived a car crash walked away from it you know, sort of by the way Tom York wrote airbag when he survived a car crash and they had very different responses to these events you know Elvis thought to himself I was like wow you know this is, it makes me realize how fleeting life is and you know if I'm gone tomorrow well what's it gonna matter hey life will go on um, and I think that the the power of that sentiment comes through really well on the arrangement and his performance. I think this is some of the most melodically ambitious material that he ever tried to say. Uh, there's stuff here where he's not only stretching his range, but sort of stretching his ability to sing microtones. He, he's going up and in, in down on these very difficult lines, and he's pulling them all off really well, despite the fact that he's always had this very, you know, this raspy burr in his voice. He's, he's not like, he's not Scott Walker. He's not a smooth singer. He, 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 he pulls this off with a plum, and again, it's not rock music. Don't, don't ever go into this expecting to hear, uh, you know, you know, brutal youth or something like that. But I think that of all of his weird extracurricular collaborations, this one comes off the best. But, you know, who cares about that? You don't have to worry about that because right after this, well, guess what? <clears throat> after uh, uh, crapping all over Bruce Thomas and telling him <laughs> that he's, uh, you know, a, a complete poser and, and the funniest effer in the world, uh, he's uh, inviting him back to play sessions and the attractions are reunited uh, at least for half of the songs on this album and the name of that album is called brutal youth and this is another one that has sort of fallen down in between the cracks of elvis costello's discography uh, i don't know why i assume it's because like all of these elvis costello albums from the post king of america period it's too long i'd cut out four or five songs you could make it a shorter album it'd still be like 43 minutes very full hearty album length but the best of this music is among the best music that elvis costello ever wrote i can't say enough good things about kinder murder 13 steps lead down london's brilliant parade sulky girl and especially you tripped at every step which i want to come back around to talk about a little later after you guys have had your say yeah, I mean, this is this is a return to form. This is an album I, I listen to all the way through pretty often. And 13 Steps Lead Down is, again, another quintessential Elvis Costello song. But, you know, the, you know smart, clever lyrics and uh, just the, you know, the, the tune just, you know, it just stays with me. And um, I, I've actually seen seen them perform it live and i like to find clips uh of the uh the band performing it live at the time i think they did like a letterman um uh spot uh in 1994 where they're playing it at like 2.5 speed and it's just it's just ridiculous uh kind of murder uh clown strike these are real strong songs but uh, the one that i want to pay you know particular particular note to is this is hell which is uh still something that he brings out uh on his live sets and and one that you know I, uh, I I'm not happy to say that I've has been in my head recently you know um, the the it's it's just so dry uh, it, it's it's not as severe as it sounds like you know he's saying this is hell over and over again but um, it, I I'd highly recommend just you know experiencing it for yourself uh, particularly in the context of the rest of the album. Well, 
wish uh, I wish this wasn't the, the, the one off that it is. I mean, he still he still made good, good good albums after this, and you know, there's still you know the attractions will have their moment again. But you know, the, 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 this was kind of the moment where I, I had hoped he would kind of return to his his, his roots and and be able to grow into how do I put this? He's he's returned. Returning to his roots, but he's maturing and growing as a songwriter as he should at this age and after 17 years of putting out records. This is a very, very strong album. I, um, I, I you know, Jeff said this is too long. Everything post, uh, uh, post King of America or so is a little long. Mm-hmm. But I think Brutal Youth, uh, almost more than any album in this era, um, nearly deserves that length. Uh, is there some so- some songs that could be cut? Sure, but I think front to back, you know, depth wise, there uh, the quality of songs on Brutal Youth stands with uh, with anything released in this era we're covering today. It's a fantastic album. Um, the attractions are here on five tracks. They play together. Nick Lowe plays bass on seven tracks. The five tracks that Bruce Thomas is on, you can tell because they're helped quite a bit by having this... Tr- I mean, not that Nick Lowe's not a good bass player, but... You got- Bruce Thomas may have been a jerk, but my God, could Goodness. he play bass well? Yes, unbelievable. Um, the one track that he's not on that I think uh, the bass stands out on is Pony Street, which is the first song. Again, great first, great first song. I love Pony Street leading off Brutal Youth. Nick Lowe plays, plays bass on, on Brutal Youth. I love it as a lead-off track. It's this push-pull, start-stop feel to it. Um, and I, I love that that pre-chorus. You know, if you're going out tonight, the way Steve's piano comes in, just around that time. Oh mother, oh mother, sometimes you were so mortified. Oh mother, you let up skin tights. I can tell you inspired. A children raise you confesses before it transgresses. Those super red movies with daddy in your disco dresses. If you go. I won't wait up Reading that's capital Watching home shopping clubs While you're vlogging a dead horse All the way down On the street Where you live every fashion You know, something that, that uh, I've always noticed about Brutal Youth that, that, that Jeff had mentioned, too, via email as we prep was this drum sound. Uh, Mitchell Froome produces Brutal Youth, and, and Pete Thomas has this very, like, elasticy tom uh, sound. They that, sound that, like kettle drums. Yeah, that, that, that really uh, marks the album's sound. I, I compare it most directly to, actually, if you can remember, Charlie Watts' drum sound on Neighbors. It has this kind of bounce and spring to it um, that, that is a very distinctive sound that really is only on Brutal Youth. Uh, and you can thank Mitchell Froome for that, whether you, if you like it, and blame him, I guess, if you don't. But it works okay. okay. It did take me a while for me to kind of get over that. Later in the album, I think, is where some of the big strengths is, uh, strengths are. Clown Strike is a great song uh, made by a, a figure that, a bass that Nick Lowe came up with to, to kind of push it forward. I've always really loved Clown Strike. Sulky Girl, the single, 
it's one of those choruses that Elvis Costello just kind of tosses off. But how good, how huge, how how hooky is that chorus? It's a genius chorus for, for Sulky Girl, you know. I think you better hold your tongue, although you've never been that strong. Um, just a really great song. Bruce Thomas has these bass fills that, that go at the end of the chorus before the next verse starts. Just perfect. In the last 30 seconds, when Elvis is just screaming Sulky Girl, the band plays on underneath him. It's a, it's a great attractions performance. He thinks he's from another planet, so I think you better hold your tongue. Although you've never been that strong, I'm sorry to say that I knew all along you're no master that's a good girl. All the rage right near the end. Some really great lines. It's kind of a response to critics, but also uh, also a, a, a kind of don't worry about me song. If you're in a relationship, I'm doing fine. Don't check up. Uh, spare me the drone of your advice. I've heard it all before. You're going to say it anyway. Uh, and no, the way he, the way he phrases it is just so perfect. Although I'll never be as yes. unhappy as you want me to be. <laughs> still, it's all the rage. <clears throat> Oh God! Yeah, <clears throat> such a great that could that should have been the last song. Yes, the album. yes, it should have been. And then part of his uh, memoir, the title comes from "All the Rage." Don't try to read my mind because it's full of disappearing, disappearing ink. ink. Along with your tweezers and your handkerchief, you murder time and truth, the laughter and belief. So don't try to touch my heart. Uh, and then the other one I want to highlight very quickly from the back half is, I, I think, one of the perfect songs on this record, Rocking Horse Road, um, in which, it, it, based on a true story, Elvis was in New Zealand and he had to he had to walk back somewhere and couldn't make it along the coast for some reason, had to walk through a neighborhood, and it was Rocking Horse Road, and he saw this, this suburban lifestyle, uh, you know, two and a half kids in a, in a minivan sort of thing in New Zealand, and, and, and the lyrics kind of imagine this alternate life of, of not being a rock star and being a normal guy walking down Rocking Horse Road. I love the kind of bubbling, rumbling drums that drives the song instead of the, the bass of of, uh, of Bruce Thomas, and uh, that's kind of snake-like guitar that weaves its way in through the through the verses. Really enjoy Rocking Horse Road. Shut 
two Vaseline and picks up a paper from the lawn. was tinged in my mind because um, all music has a pretty nasty review on Brutal Youth, and that's what I had in my mind going into it, and it quickly was changed. I, I think giving Brutal Youth, again, a, a, a listen from start to finish uh, is a grand idea if you haven't before. Uh, it is absolutely one of his best, best albums uh, of this era. I, I, I couldn't agree more. As I said, I, I, take up, I take away some of the songs, like maybe I don't need, you know, Still Too Soon to Know or 20% Amnesia. Uh, but even some of the weird, like, like kind of throwaway squibs, I like. I like my science fiction twin. <laughs> First of all, I like the name. That's a great name. That's a great title for a song that, that you could take it in 16 different directions and they'd all be worth listening to. Um, but uh, the stuff with Bruce Thomas on it, I, I know he hates to acknowledge this because they obviously they'll they'll they will never play again. This is this is probably right up there with the Black Crows feud or <laughs> or uh, you know you know the Fogarty brothers in terms of uh, you know we expect the the Gallagher brothers and Oasis to someday make up, but but Bruce Thomas and Elvis Costello they're never playing again. Um, but kind of grant that when Bruce played on these sessions, he brought something special to them. Nobody knows she puts on secret clothes and lies in splendor for a picture opportunity. Cover up that bruise, put on paid and leather shoes. Just stop playing that bad news. Not just 13 Steps Lead Down. I'll tell you one that's a non-traditional Elvis Costello song that just sounds really beautiful is London's Brilliant Parade, which is basically a travelogue of his past life. You know, you know, he's talking about all his old memories, walking down through the, the heart of the city. You know, he talks about, you know, in the Hammersmith Palais in Kensington and Camden Town, there's a part that I used to play. And what he's talking about is like, you know, me being the uh, the angry young man on the stage, you know, you know, you're getting up there and, you know, gobbing and 
screaming at, at, at all the fans. And you know, I'm an older man now, but I still have those fond memories of the time. But then it, it also has that brilliant, that brilliant middle section that, uh, to me, when I first heard this song, I was like, hmm, this is this is the stuff that nobody talks about that's hugely underrated. Whereas she's one of those girls that you just can't play so you feel guilty desire and such an innocent face. But of course they knew that when they cast her, along with that red root master. Uh, you know, and they're talking about uh, <clears throat> you know, he's basically like he's cast a movie in his mind, a dream image. Uh, you know, everybody looks happy and twisted. She probably never existed for old time's sake, but don't let me awake. Just so wonderful. And then, you know, I remember the first time I visited England, I made it a point to walk across Hungerford Bridge hmm. with the song in my earphones playing. Hmm. You know, it says, I wouldn't want you to walk across Hungerford Bridge, especially at twilight, looking through the bolts and the girders into the water below. Um, yeah, I did that just to say that I did. I was like, <laughs> yes, I feel like Elvis. I mean, that's a, that's a quieter song. Yeah, Anthony? Did you find your answer? No, I didn't. I did not find my answer there. Um, but I did when they sounded the all clear in the Occidental Bazaar that they used to call Oxford Street. She's one of those girls that you just can't place. You feel guilty desire in such an innocent face. But of course they knew that when they cast her. Along with the Red Root Master. And the film takes place in an second one that just absolutely leaps out to me and this is guaranteed this is not only going to make my top five for this episode this would make my top five all time for you know the entire career of Elvis costello is you tripped at every step uh which is not on any of his greatest hits albums you'll only find it here on brutal youth it is uh I'm stunned that people don't love it as much as I do. I'm stunned that people don't know it as much as I do. This to me is sort of his late period uh, era of what I would call almost gentle misogyny. Uh, 
So, uh, you know, we, we have early angry misogynistic Elvis Costello on stuff like this year's model, no action, this year's girl, lipstick Vogue, stuff like that. Uh, but now now we have an older and mellowed out Elvis Costello. Um, and, you know, he still has a somewhat condescending approach to a woman. You know, you take your tiny feet out of your mother's shoes or there's going to be a terrible scene. How patronizing is that? You know, it's not just the lipstick drawn on crooked. You know, he's, he's talking about, you know, a girl who thinks that she's a woman now, but really she's just a woman. You know, she's just a, she's still just a, a, a child. She isn't fully mature. And that kind of thing, I, you know, might, might get your hackles up if it weren't set to this beautiful, beautiful music. Mm-hmm. That is, I think, you know, before he started working with Burt Bacharach, this was his most Bacharach-like tune. You know, he has that, that great little lyrical line that, again, is just a tribute to the classic Brill Building 60s songwriters. There's a merry tune that starts in I and ends in you, like many famous pop songs do. And then he sings, you would sing along with little telltale staggers while balancing on daggers, though they were killing you. You know, so it's just, it's like, imagine this is a drunk person, drunk lit girl and she's wearing these like heels that are much higher than her, she's comfortable with. And she's kind of like she doesn't have her balance together. She's had a little bit too much to drink. Uh, it's just so wonderful. And then of course it goes into that, that well, again, that middle eight where I would try to catch you anytime you fall only you drank that potion and went out of control very playful but it's obviously like a dr jekyll mr hyde thing like yeah when you get a little bit of the booze in yeah then you're gonna go crazy <laughs> you can always um, you can almost see this person this this girl that he's writing about she's like getting up on the tables and dancing and she's saying you know embarrassing things to the the wives and girlfriends of the other men's dates at the party that kind of a person we've all been there uh, that's just a wonderful and then again of course it ends with put down that frying pan because she's obviously angry with him she's like about to like <laughs> clock him on the head which he probably deserves but again the chorus is that you tripped at every step you tripped at every step you tripped at every step and all the, of course the piano Steve Naive and Bruce are playing underneath him and there's all these you know backing vocals go step 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 this is his pop masterpiece this is one of the greatest songs he ever wrote and i just think it's it's crying shame that more people don't know about it before you start to cry Actually, it's a shame that more people don't know about this album or the one that comes next. 
And real quickly on, on You Tricked With Every Step, uh, I knew you were going to handle it, but I, I love it too. It's an old song that dates back to the King of America sessions, and he could not get it right. He talks a bit about it in, in his memoir. It's a very personal song. He, he said he, you know, he certainly could have called it I Tripped at Every Step. Uh, it's really kind of putting his foibles on someone else in, in the course of the song, but that's an old one. He, he tried Same thing he did with Accidents Will Happen, actually. Absolutely. Yes, yes. Uh, that's one that, that he tried to get right for an awfully long time. He finally got it right here. I mean, that is just like Suit of Lights, randomly the one song on King of America that the attractions play on happens to be one of their great performances. This, as uncharacteristic an attractions performance as you will get, a very elegant, dignified, stately ballad is just one of their finest and most assured performances. It's, it's right up there with new lace sleeves, in my opinion. So as we were getting prepped for this portion, uh, Jeff tried to, uh, to to sell me on an album, and I tried to sell him on one that we didn't have a ton of exposure to. And the one that Jeff said, Look, you got to hear it. It's great. It's underrated. People don't talk enough about it, is this next one, All This Useless Beauty. Uh, the last album with the attractions, the last album for Warner Brothers, last original album for Warner Brothers, Jeff Emmerich returns to do some producing on all this useless beauty. And uh, I'll let one of you guys go first. But I will say that uh, that largely Jeff is right. I had not heard a ton or maybe visited once or twice all this useless beauty going back now to uh, to hear it again and and sort of you know, what I, you know, what I think helped actually is knowing what was coming next, um, knowing when I was cruel and knowing some of the albums that would be next, seeing how the ideas on all this useless beauty would be carried through and refined in the future, I think helped me appreciate what he was doing uh, on this album, which ostensibly when it started was supposed to be just albums that Elvis Costello wrote for other people and that he would do himself. That changed during the course of putting it together as originals. There are some, uh, a good number of songs he wrote for other people that either they did record or in some cases they did not record, like Johnny Cash. Right. Um, but uh, but, but that, that sort of... This is thought of, I think, in a way of, oh, it's just the second-hand album. It's the album of him doing songs that gave, gave away, and it's not, not, not totally true. No, not, I mean, and if it was, then he gave away some of his best material <laughs> because I love this album to death. But before I go start ranting, because I just did that about Brutal Youth. Anthony, you have any thoughts? Yeah, I really like All This Useless Beauty, and it's not one that I was really aware of at the time, other than... Um, you know, like again, I mentioned that he did two. Uh, Elvis Costello did two hits on the Larry Sanders Show in the mid '90s, and he played Little Adams, which is off of this album on on the show. The thing is, I am so used to Elvis playing Little Album, Little Adams acoustically, just him and a guitar. <laughs> that weirded out by the uh, having revisited the version on this album. It's the quasi electronica backing. The Really congruous, but I mean, it's good. It's, I, I listened to it a few times just to make sure that I wasn't like um, uh, just you know working off of the biases of uh, of my past. Uh, it, it's good. I, I like it, but it, it's so much more effective. And again, go to YouTube. He didn't just do it on the on the Larry Sanders show. He did it live a bunch, including one time where he weirdly ranted about um, the German national anthem because apparently a German <laughs> uh, broadcaster pointed out that there's a bit of the German national anthem in the guitar work uh, in the chords. Uh, 
Yeah, that's a that's a great song that's uh, got got you know classic Elvis Costello lyrics that jump. Uh, I never promised you I'd say goodbye to childish things. Still some pretty insults left, and so smart and threatening. Um, you know, just just great stuff. I mean, and what a great title of an album! All this useless beauty. You know, the the, the, the title track is great. Complicated shadows is a really strong one. Shallow graves a really strong one. You bowed down. I absolutely love. That's a real banger. And I had I had I wrote this little uh, note to myself today when I was revisiting the album. It's time. Uh, sounds like a great in excess song. <laughs> like if you're if you're into in excess and the you know the particularly uh, you know the upbeat stuff that kind of has a bit of a, a funk swing to it. Uh, it's time kind of reminded me of something like that. Not only that, but like there's an entire subgenre of Elvis Costello songs that are about how much he hates Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Like going back to like, you know, Big Sister's Clothes and then the like, shipbuilding. Yeah. Tramp the dirt down from Spike. But this is the best by far. <laughs> and because you know the reason it's the best by far, first of all, because the music itself is amazing. I just I just love that. Yeah, right. It has it has that in excess groove, that beat. And it's it's like epically long with the, the big Steve Naive arpeggios up and down the piano. But there's that really great at that one point where he has a self-referential lyric where he realizes that like, you know, you know okay, wait a second. I, I've kind of devoted my life to hating you and now you're gone. So what does he say? It's just like this magic moment concludes that cigarette was it? And if you do have to leave me, who will I have left to hate? <laughs> who will I have left to hate if you go? If you go, it's time. It's time. So uh, it's it's it, that one moment where he he finally checks himself and he's like, well, you know, now what am I going to do? I, I've waited for the last decade and a half for you to be out of office, <laughs> but now that you are, crap, I don't have anybody left to rail against anymore. This magic And you'll notice there weren't a lot of great anti-Tony Blair songs from Elvis Costello <laughs> in the 90s and 2000s, were there? No, nah, it was just like bland, you know, new lape, you know, but it was, it's such a good song. I, it's one of it, it's it's probably going to be on my list at the end of the show. And I, you know, just real quick, I, I mentioned You Bowed Down is a great song. Um, that That's one where, uh, you know, often on the studio albums, Elvis will... Uh, be backed by himself uh, in harmonies, and and this is a, a case where it's done to great effect. Uh, with the during the chorus when Elvis is backing himself up. 
And you bowed down real quick. That one probably will be just outside my top five, but it's a fantastic song. Clearly, it's written for Roger McGuinn, and clearly birds, you know, all over it, and the melodies and the harmonies. Now they say that justice in the body next things to blindness. Well, you're getting plenty of both of them now. mentioned this is the last attractions album uh, apparently uh, bruce and, and elvis had a fallout on the road during the tour there exists a uh, a jay leno performance right at the end of the tour when clearly they all knew this was going to be it and it's it's you bow down and elvis costello i don't know if you guys have heard this changes the chorus in you bow down everything's the same the chorus instead of you bow down becomes I shouldn't have walked across the bridge I burned um, directly, you know, talking about bringing Bruce Thomas back into the fold. It's just, and, and then he wrote a song called The Bridge I Burned yes, about it. Yes. I mean, it just it's it's nasty to hear when you realize that he's playing as he's singing those lyrics on the Jay Leto show, uh, on, the, on the Tonight Show. Uh, you Bow Down is, is fantastic. Uh, you know, Little Adams and Distorted Angel, those are the two songs in particular that I, I, I picked up on more this time around because, again, I think I can see that line being drawn from little adams to a lot of what was going to be done on when i was cruel the next real pop album he would put out uh, a few years later uh little adams is really good in the, the acoustic version as well as as anthony mentioned uh complicated shadows is just this this slow burn of a song until you get halfway through this tension just builds and builds and the attractions explode halfway through that's uh, a live cut i mean it's half studio half live and then yes and when they yes. go to that yeah and then the big loud chords that's them playing at a concert i had to remember uh, from our jackson brown episode which song on running on empty that, that he did the same thing to that's the road where it goes from studio to to uh, to live version uh bruce thomas's bass is more prominent in complicated shadows than it is earlier um in the album and i i guess Bruce had asked for a specially mixed edition of uh, of all this useless beauty in which his bass was pumped higher in the mix. <laughs> so <laughs> I assume someone made that for him. But man, complicated shadows. You get to that explosion. It deconstructs itself once again before again the final minute or so when everyone roars back. Uh, complicated shadows is just a, a great banger of a tune. Though the fear is hot and hard I still see Shadows. 
Steve Naive is very front and center on a lot of these songs. I think Elvis himself has said the strength of all this useless beauty is in the more the more ballad uh, tracks. Uh, Poor Fractured Atlas, which is a lot of... P- is, I mean, there's others. There's bass and, and drum, too. But really, it's a piano and vocal song. A very nice one from, from all this useless beauty. So I, I, I don't like it as much as Brutal Youth. But Jeff, yes, was right that this is one that's probably undiscovered by by even some Ellis Costello fans. I mean, I think the other the, 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 only, the last song I want to mention on this album is the opening track, The Other End of the Telescope. This is a song that was first given to Amy Mann of Till Tuesday. And if you've heard Till Tuesday's version of it, it's really good. Really good. Till Tuesday was an underrated kind of 80s new wave pop band. Um, but Elvis's version is... Uh, it, I believe it is the better one. That's a tough call because I really do like the Till Tuesday version. It's it, it opens the it opens the album. These quiet acoustic you know guitar chords quietly fading in, and it, the lyric is just again so biting. But it, it doesn't lack. It doesn't have that that anger and sort of you know condescension of his earlier like angry love songs. It, it has something that's that's a little smarter and a, and a little more sympathetic uh, than the rest of his stuff from his earlier era. So like you have that, like, I know it made no difference to you, but Oh, it made such a difference to me. You see me off in the distance. I hope at the other end of the telescope. And uh, you know, what is it? There's that, that again, that the great condescending middle labor says, lie down, baby, not don't say a word. There, there, baby, your vision is blurred. Your, your head is so sore from all that thinking. I don't want to hurt you now, but I think, and then of course the, 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 the shimmery, you know, production comes in. I think you're shrinking and you can almost see it's like a 50 sci-fi film, like the incredible <laughs> shrinking man or, or honey, I shrunk the kids or something like that. All of a sudden, what a beautiful song what a beautiful way to open the album and also just a different way of handling a ballad than he had ever brought to uh, bear with the attractions before this time you're half naked ambition and you're half out of your wits a several tiny fractions that this portrait still omits and it's so hard to pick the receiver up when I call I never noticed you could be so small The answer was under your nose But the question never arrives I know it don't make a difference to you But oh, it's all made a difference to me Cause late in the evening as I sit here moping With a bamboo needle on a shellac of Chopin And the cast iron heart that you failed to tear open Same thing goes with, for the title track for all this useless beauty, which is about Princess Diana. I always thought, you know, you know, what do we do? What shall we do with all this useless beauty? You know, he imagines himself. You know, he, he's 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 you know doing an imaginative exercise here. Like, well, what must she think about this 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 goofy brute? 
you know, you know, Prince Charles who's having an affair with Duchess Fergie, you know, and it's just sort of like a goofy, you know, poor lover, poor husband. And she's there as some sort of icon to be loved and admired, but she feels empty on the inside. And you, you get to that with, with, the, the great chorus, you know, what shall we do? What shall we do with all this useless beauty? Nonsense prevails, modesty fails, grace and virtue turn into stupidity. While the calendar fades, almost all barricades to a pale compromise. And our leaders have feasts on the backsides of beasts. They still think they're the gods of antiquity If something you missed didn't even exist It was just an idealism, such a surprise What shall we do? What shall we do with all this useless beauty? I just think that the album itself, it's criminal how this is, you know, treated as like, oh, it's Elvis's cover album. It's forgotten. Uh, you know, it's the end of his Warner Brothers era. And it's just become, you know, lost in the flood, of, especially because he would release so many records in the next decade, so many weird collaborations and things like that. There is so much great music on this record, including songs we haven't even talked about, like his, his rewrite of Lily Rosemary and the Jack of Hearts, which is uh, starting to come to me. Great song. Kind of a nice rockabilly number that works, unlike some of his early earlier attempts at it but I, I love that record i think everyone should love that record and i don't know if i can say the same for another record which i also admire but is definitely more of a niche product which is his collaboration with burt Bacharach, painted from memory which is the next thing he did i don't know if you guys have really given this one a lot of listens this was one of the first sort of modern when i was actually getting into elvis costello records that i bought because it was 1998 it was just in first freshman year of college. So I'm like, what are the, you know, the newest records to get? It's all this useless beauty. It's painted from memory. Uh, I didn't like it nearly as much back then as I do now because I probably didn't have the sophistication, the musical palette to appreciate a lot of the moves that were done on it. But uh, I think there's a lot of great stuff on this one. And I know we're not going to spend too much time on these various collaborations, but do you guys have any good things to say about being painted from memory or am I out alone here on an island? Uh, you know, so this came out right around just uh, just before Elvis and Burt Bacharach appeared in the second Austin Powers movie. <laughs> and, to, and to quote Austin Powers, it's not my bag, baby. I just do, do not. Uh, I, I, I mean, all due respect to uh, Mr. Bacharach. I know he did some important stuff, but the stuff just never really moved me very much. So I will uh, I will defer. I actually like painted from from memory. I, I don't visit it often, uh, but you have a you know capital P professional songwriter in Burt Bacharach getting together with Costello, who is clearly you know perhaps the best of his generation, and they are able to really make an album of um, like adult pop, right? I mean, it's it's an album that uh, that really 
is is it's one that is close to Elvis's heart. You can tell. I mean, you go back to the uh, to the My Name Is True bonus material and what's on there, but a really good version of I Just Don't Know What to Do with Myself, uh, an old right. Burt Bacharach yeah. song. And yeah. so he's he's loved Burt Bacharach for a long time, and and you could see him kind of straining to to write these kinds of songs on previous releases, you know, they wrote God Give Me Strength over a fax machine, for goodness sake. They couldn't get in the same room, so they wrote that over a fax machine. And then you get painted from memory. And there's some really good... I like In the Darkest Place quite a bit. I I really like This House is Empty Now, a really emotionally raw uh, song about divorce or separation. You know, lines about friends choosing sides. Who's going to get friends? That's the kind of, again, adult pop, adult themes that Burt Bacharach and... Elvis are exploring in, in many places unpainted from memory. And in some ways, in some ways, perhaps you kind of draw this line from what Elvis and Burt Bacharach did here to sort of that that new jazzy sort of artist like a Nora Jones or a Michael Bublé right. who found some success in that decade afterwards. And I'm not saying it originated here, but it certainly didn't hurt that you had someone like Elvis Costello bringing the Burt Bacharach style uh, back into the near mainstream. I mean, one of the funniest songs on this record for me has always been Toledo. Uh, my wife, uh, she'll kill me for having revealed this to the public, <laughs> but she was she considers herself a Chicago girl. But the the secret shameful truth is that she was actually born in Toledo, Ohio, and she's never been comfortable admitting this in public situations. But uh, well, sorry, Noel. Um, but that's why the, the lyric to that song is so great. The song is called Toledo, and, and the chorus goes, you know, but do, do people living in Toledo Toledo, Spain is what he's talking about. Know that their name hasn't traveled very well. And does, <laughs> does anybody in Ohio dream of that Spanish citadel? It's such a funny lyric because it kind of gets at that, like the weirdness of like, why are there, why is there a Paris, France and a Paris, Texas? These are very different places. Toledo, Ohio has nothing to do with Toledo, Spain. And uh, it, the, the music itself underneath it, again, this is some very subtle stuff. I, I, I just, I don't know how anybody could object to God give me strength. I think that's a beautiful song for a song written on a fax machine. <laughs> that's such, I mean, that is that the best song ever written by fax? I don't even know. Like, what do they do? Were they, were they faxing sheet music back to one another? I don't know how they like, you know, like you would hear the chords. Here's, you know, I don't know how you do that. They but I were, guess it in worked. Fact. It, I mean, it worked. Yeah. And I love it. You know, Elvis Costello, never known for his good falsetto because it's not really his, his uh, you know, wheelhouse. But I really love it when he goes up to the falsetto and God give me strength. And there's, there's those extra passing chords that are thrown in that would be unnecessary and yet kind of flesh out sort of the subtlety and the warmth of of a true Burt Bacharach song I can hold on to God give me strength when the phone doesn't ring and I'm lost in imagine everything that kind of love is worth as I tumble back down to the earth that song is sung this The light that I'd bless 
So I, I, I really do like Painted from Memory, and I think it's probably the second most successful of his sort of extracurricular collaborations. It's not like in his main rock discography. I, do, do, I don't even know how people classify this these days <laughs> because he's become so prolific. He's, he's doing, you know, albums with Sophie and Sophie Von Otter, you know, The Roots, you know, like, you know, Alan Toussaint, right? Going to do these weird country things. You know, it's, it, it, it's like, well, is it just like, you know, the imposters now? Speaking of which, you know, uh, I think that might be the way we, we go into the next record which is his return to quote unquote rock and roll uh, no longer Elvis Costello and the Attractions it's now Elvis Costello and, and, the, and the Imposters named after that song The Imposter from Get Happy um, which is a funny title because obviously it's basically just the Attractions minus Bruce Thomas who you'll never work with again so what did he do he, he, he got the guy from Cracker of all people <laughs> what's his name Davey Far- Farragher is, is yep. that his name yep yeah, uh, decent bassist. I, there's, I won't ever say like, oh, well, that, that was a bad note that he struck. He's not Bruce Thomas. And, you know, he, he's never going to have that sort of, I don't know, that bullish and, and, and maybe, you know, asinine independence of spirit that Thomas always had, uh, which made him such a force within the attractions as an ensemble. But the Imposters is now the, the replacement attractions and that's the band that he's going to be recording the rest of these albums in his sort of mainstream rock continuum for the rest of his career up into the present day and the first of these comes from 2002 and it's when i was cruel this is sort of like his self-consciously back to basics i'm rocking again here's my blood and chocolate you know part two or this year's model part three i have a very mixed feeling about this record i don't think there's anything on it that is truly bad but i find it to be largely generic and i yet again this is just this is like 20 minutes too long there's just (laughs) so much music that doesn't need to be here and bizarrely enough he left what i consider to be the best song on the entire record off of it which is the title track he left when i was cruel number one the original one off of the record and then put this bizarre seven minute rant called when i was cruel number two on it instead there are things on this record that i like um i like the spooky girlfriend which is the tusk imitation that i referred to earlier on in the show because when she sits on my knee and then she whispers to me can't you see game goes on too long i really do like soul for hire but i think a lot of this is um it almost feels rote it feels a little by the numbers for me and this is you know the part of ellis costello's career that i came to later in life you know everything else i had absorbed when i was a teenager up at the time at the moment it happened from when i was cruel onwards this is the stuff where i had to come back to it retrospectively what do you guys think so I got to hear a lot of these songs played at the first uh, Elvis Costello show I went to, which was at the Orpheum in Boston, either in 98 or 99. I can't remember which. 
Um, so that's during the, the, the post painted from memory and pre when I was cruel period, which is a good couple of years, a good like three or four years there. Um, so it was, it was interesting to see that he was, you know, working on these songs and even willing to, to workshop them in front of the live audiences for that long. Uh, 45, I think is a really good song. It's, it's, it's a midlife crisis song. Um, and it starts off, you know, slower and turns into a, a pretty standard rocker at the end where it just, uh, it gets very jangly as it fades out. I, I like, I like 45. Spooky Girlfriend, I can also co-sign that. You mentioned that. Um, Tear Off Your Own Head, it, It's a Doll Revolution is a, it's a goofy song. It's, it's silly. It's, um, he's, um, particularly, he's, it sounds like he's singing about a Barbie doll, uh, if you're taking it literally. For a TV show about, if I recall correctly, supermodels who are superheroes, essentially. Supermodels who solve crimes or something. And so it makes a little more sense when you consider that, I think. Yeah. Well, it's Wait, also- are, are you are you sure that that's not the, the Quentin Tarantino fake TV show that was pitched in Pulp Fiction by Uma Thurman? <laughs> or, because that sounds exactly like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and- and they, so the, you know the, the Bangles when they were uh, getting getting back together after a long hiatus they covered this song right around that time and their version's pretty good too so it's, it's a good pop song I also I, I agree with you as well that I wish the original when I was cruel was on this album and not the number two Alibi is a good song um, I think Daddy Can I Turn This is a really good rock song um, I love and you know it's 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 a weird one when he's uh, singing the title. Uh, he's doing something with his voice that's a little unusual. Is it Daddy cannot turn this? It's very, you know, so there's, a, there's, a, there's a bit of a dread there. <laughs> uh, and one thing, uh, I, I need, Needle Time is a good song. It's a bit of a, got a bit of a country thing happening there. Uh, but Radio Silence, the song that ends it, um, another very spooky song. Um, not really sure li- what, what the literal interpretation of those lyrics are. Um, you know, there's, there's a hostage situation going on uh, if you take it literally it's it's you know the the, the person taking uh, hostages uh is no longer going to be negotiating just to be maintaining radio silence but uh to me it's it seems like a very thinly veiled um you know another uh eulogy for a relationship uh and i really enjoyed it and you know there's there's too much fat on this album but this album just does mean something in particular to me because uh it was it came out just you know, a year after I was out of college, uh, I was huge Elvis Costello fan. And after Painted from Memory, and after so long without the attractions, I wasn't sure he was ever going to do something like this again. I wasn't sure he was ever going to play rock and roll or pop music again. So this at least encouraged me that that was something that he was still interested in, and that there would be more to come. 
This is the first album uh, from Elvis Costello that I got contemporaneously, that I that I, I owned as it was released. And I, I think it's a little, I'll say misunderstood, but I mean, it, it was it was promoted as the Back to Rock album, the Back to Basics, and Elvis Costello. The sticker on the album said, Elvis Costello's first loud album since 1990, question um, mark. Mm. And yet I think this is this is really... Um, an experimental album. I mean, yes, there's rock, but there's a lot. This is almost uh, like a, like a modern Spike in my mind, and and, and more successful. I don't want to damn it uh, by comparing it to Spike, but uh, there's a lot of there's loops and there's some very bass heavy songs, and there's the noisy, catchy sort of uh, studio experimentation on, on when I was cruel. That is kind of buried by kind of the always oh, the rock album. Yeah, it is. But right, uh, forty five, which uh, which Anthony mentioned. I, I don't think it's a midlife crisis. I, I just think it's a it's a telling of his life, which is pretty his life story in three and a half minutes. Um, it mentions, uh, but the words are a mystery. I've heard till you turn it down to thirty three and a third because he's, he's forty five years old and forty five RPM, of course. I think because it helps with your elocution. And that's what his dad did. His dad would get these records and he'd have to slow them down so he could learn the words to the music he would then be performing. Um, and then later on, uh, so don't you weep and shed, just change your name instead. When you, uh, What you lose when it all goes to your head. Uh, we've certainly discussed uh, how the rock and roll lifestyle affected his, his uh, relationships. That's all in 45 in like three and a half minutes. It's a, it's a taut piece of storytelling about the life of Elvis Costello. This in trouble he'll ever hurt There's a rebel in a nylon shirt But the words are a mystery I've heard Till you turn it down to 33 and a third Cause it helps with the elocution Corporations turn revolutions Multified So don't you just change your name and stay Why do you lose when it all goes to your I had something peculiar said Perhaps it's got a shot and now it's dead 45 Um Heart and Alibi. I like them both. They're both very bass-heavy, bass-led songs. They're probably a little bit too similar to successfully coexist on the same album. Um, I like Alibi a little better, though it is a little longer. Really great groove and rhythm. A big bass lead from Davey. The organ sort of slides into the chorus. This would be described as slinky, I think. Uh, and, and the lyrics about washing away any excuses you have in life. You did it. Face the consequences. Take your medicine. Uh, that sort of thing. I really like my little blue window, which might be the, the poppiest song on the album. Um, and it sort of has this this gentle, optimistic take. Um, I want you uh, to be my lovely hooligan. Come by and smash my pain. And, and, the, and the double meaning there, the, the window pain and, and the P-I-A, P-I, I'm sorry, P-A-I-N. Till I can see right through my little blue window. Uh, someone entering your life that can, uh, uh, that can brighten things and help you see more clearly. This is a calling card. Maybe it will be a farewell note. The poison fountain pain now requires the antidote. And if I ever choose. 
that I should become a shrinking fly Just punch me on the arm This could be our finest hour Till now, this was my view But I'm counting on you one I want to mention too is episode of Blonde which is very late. He actually pulled this out a couple of weeks ago to play which I just would not have expected. It's not as if uh, it has this sterling reputation as being oh the great unplayed unheard Elvis Costello song but it's it's a, it's, a, it's a bold kind of funny song with these kind of Dylan-esque lyrics and the lyrics must be a page and a half long and it's just non-stop lyrics and it's one of those songs too that uh, that does a good job of sort of capping the album when I was cruel. I don't think a total success uh, for, for when I was cruel but I, I think if, if you take it more as Again, a continuation of some things that we heard in All This Useless Beauty. Um, and again, this introduction of a little more experimental, again, those loops, the bass heaviness, the grooves. It's not quite the album it was sold to be, but I think succeeds in a lot of ways. Okay, so my question for you guys is, which is worse, the Rob Reiner film starring Elijah Wood called North <laughs> or the Elvis Costello album called North? And the reason I ask is that Roger Ebert famously yes. began his review of North by saying, I hated, 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 hated this film. Um I hated, 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 hated this album. <laughs> this album is... Uh, tribute at least in my mind to why you should not record music to woo your next wife <laughs> um, elvis of course is now on his third wife his first one we talked about in the first show and then he married kate reardon of the pogues and they got divorced and now he is currently still married to diana crawl jazz singer and this is very much the jazz, Elvis Costello jazz ballad album. I think Anthony in our pre-show email said, is there a single melody on this record? And I had to go back and listen to it, and I still conclude that no. No, there is not. I don't know what happened. I don't really think we need to even spend that much time on it, but I want you guys to say your most hilarious slanders against this. If you Oh, can. yeah, I need to take some kidney punches on North. Uh, the yeah, I, I, as I understand it, North is a reference to the fact that Diana Krall is Canadian, and uh, that was that was why he, you know, like he, he was looking north. His heart was in, in shattered in pieces, and North is where he found his future. Um, you know, good for you know, good for you, Elvis. You know that you found you know a, a, a true love. You know, another woman to have children with. You know, I'm glad that you're happy. But these songs aren't happy. They're drippy. They are. Um, they're bloodless. It's, it's just like it's just the songs look like the cover looks like yeah. gray and dreary and just very difficult to get through. And you know, again, if you you know, I, you know I'm not the biggest fan of Burke Bacharach's uh, output, but these those are songs. I can recognize them as songs. I don't even see songs in here. They're just like they just they they start 
they just kind of plot along and then they end there are there is no melody there is no emotion um the the lyrics are really on the nose and overwrought and it's uh it's crap and it's uh i i, I don't even how did this album do i remember it was promoted like crazy um and he he, he really wanted he released people. it on a classical imprint Deutsch right gramophone. Deutsch, Deutsch gramophone right yep. i was yep. like i mean how pretentious are you i think i was at a, at a record shop at some point during that era and and you know the guy who was behind the, the counter who was basically jack black in uh, high fidelity um it was, was like making fun of these these rock musicians who were so pretentious that they end up marrying somebody who's equally as pretentious as them he's like and i can never quite forgive lou reed for marrying laurie anderson it's like how much more pretentious does it get and he's like the same thing with elvis costello and diana crawl it's like come on can you just advertise take me seriously as a serious artist more than by marrying diana crawl and releasing your next album as a classical album on deutsche gramophone no you cannot that is that is pretty much sort of, I guess, a nadir for him, in my opinion. Northreach North 57 on the chart, so it did just as well as All This Useless Beauty and Mighty Like a Rose, who are right God, in that range. That, that, that's criminal. <laughs> well, I guess that brings us to the one that you were pumping up for me in advance, yes. uh, which is his next album, an actual rock album, although with a country tinge. It's called The Delivery Man. He's back with the imposters. He's actually making real music and not weird hokey jazz ballads that he's trying to woo his wife to be with um this one i liked a lot when i first heard it and then here's the strange thing then i went back and i checked up on some of his more recent albums and i realized that bizarrely enough i like them more but i really do like the delivery man there's 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 a song on this one that's called country darkness Mm -hmm. which is i think my favorite one on the record country darkness There must be something more The prison she lives in The one with the open door A veil is covering There's a lot of good songs. Bedlam, and that, the Bedlam, Country Darkness, and Monkey to Man. Those are my three picks from the record. Uh, but this is him. Again, no editor, no filter. Somebody could have cut off four of these songs. Come on, Elvis. You know, Mr. Declan, you can you can do better. Uh, but there are a lot of great songs on this, and there's a, there's a lot more of a country twinge. And people have, have accused this one of sounding mannered. I would level that accusation against some of his later records, particularly Secret for Fan and Sugarcane. I don't think there's anything mannered about the delivery, man. I think that this is, this is one that actually delivers. And I'm so glad that he did not go through with his original concept to make it about <laughs> like a, a, you know, a Three? rock opera about yeah. a delivery man who seduces wives during his route. Although they still pop up here as three women, Ivy, Vivian, and Geraldine, and the names pop up in some of the songs. But the, that project, that narrative was sort of was, was shelved, and so you have things like Monkey to Man, which would not have existed in the original form. I, I, I do. I love The Delivery Man, which is the first Imposters album proper. They were not credited as such on, 
on whatever is cruel. So this is uh, Davy Fairher, who again uh, adds something with with his with his vocals too. He he sings and he adds. Uh, he's not quite. I mean, he's not quite the bass player that Bruce Thomas is. Very few are, but he's still able to contribute. Like on "Button My Lip," that's a solid bass line on "Button My Lip," the first song on the album. Um, Dennis Herring co-produces here, who also produced a bunch of Cracker and Camper Van Van Beethoven stuff. There's like a thousand reasons you should love this album. Um, my favorite song on this is "Either Side of the Same Town," which he actually wrote for Howard Tate. It's another song that he wrote for someone who declined to record it, if I recall correctly. This is a real soul song, soulful, muscular playing by uh, the imposters. And, and the way that he dips into his uh, falsetto in, in that pre-chorus, what do we know of anything to fools of some renown? Just a great line. Um, the emotion coming through on the vocals. It is a real soulful song, either side of the same town. Bedlam, which is crazy live. Steve Knight, he plays the theremin all over the place on Bedlam. Uh, I almost see it as a continuation of like of Tart and Alibi from, from the last album. Very weird, crazy lyrics, too. Now I'm practicing my likeness of St. Francis of Assisi, for if I hold my hand outstretched, a little bird comes to me on Bedlam. I got this imaginary radio and I'm punching up the dial. I got the AC train on the TV so it won't Um, the name of this thing is not love. It's maybe the most classic Elvis Costello track, if you want to think for, of like angry Elvis. Uh, that's the name of this thing is not love. Country Darkness is is great. Lucinda Williams sings. There's a story in your voice. She duets on that one. It's a fun song. Emmylou Harris is on two, including a great one is called... It, the, is it Nothing Clings Like Ivy that she's on? She's on Ivy and then The Scarlet Tide uh, right. at the very, very end. She's on two. Yeah, Emmylou's on two tracks on, on Delivery Man. Button My Lip, I, I mentioned earlier, it's the first track. There's a lot going on on Button My Lip. I mean, the, the drums are doing one thing. The vocals are doing something else. Steve Knives doing something else entirely with his, uh, his part of the song. There's a quote from America from Bernstein and Sondheim uh, in Button My Lip. 
Uh, but yes, it, it's kind of the, the country Americana rock genre. It was put out on Lost Highway, which is the Americana label of Universal for a little bit of time around this, uh, this 2004, 2005. But I highly, highly recommend. Yes, it's too long. Yes, no doubt. You could shave three, four songs off. You'd be fine. But Delivery Man is really solid. Highly recommend it. Anthony? Yeah. Yeah, this is uh, this is the last album in the catalog that I can truly say that I love. Uh, even if I would shave off a couple of songs, uh, I saw him play this. Uh, you know, I saw him tour on this uh, record at Central Park Summer Stage, and Emily, Emily Harris came out um, for several songs, which was a delight. I had never seen her perform live before. Um, you, you guys have hit a bunch of the songs that I, I would have singled out as well, but I can't say enough about Button My Lip. Uh, the thing, like, you know, the, Scott, you put it well that there's a lot going on there, that they're, they're, they're kind of all over the place. Here's the thing that I really, really appreciate about The Delivery Man. Um, yeah, on its face, it's more of a country album or, as you said, you know, an Americana album because that gives you a little bit more room with the genres to play with. It, when, you know, when Elvis did, um, I forgot, with The Almost Blue, which was just a straight, you know, that was just straight country uh, songs that uh, he was doing pretty faithful covers to. This is different. This is him actually taking those influences and doing his own thing with it, making it sound like something that doesn't sound like anything else. And uh, I remember when reading uh, his book, um, Unfaithful Music and Disappearing Ink, how he said, you know, his favorite band is the band. And his yes. favorite, yeah. the, favorite, the show that he ever was at uh, was a show that was in England. His first wife was about to give birth and it was Little Feet. Now, I, I don't know how many people, you know, still are that into Little Feet, but they were. Oh, yeah. Lowell George, man. Yeah, I mean, but you know, like they, Lowell's George has been dead for a while, and they've been kind of a, a touring nostalgia act now. But they are a difficult, um, they are a difficult uh, uh, band to uh, you know pigeonhole because they, uh, they, you know, they have country, they've got Americana, but they were also very you know weird and experimental, kind of like you know, almost like a if Steely Dan was a country band. It would yeah, be- Lowell George played with Frank Zappa before he started <laughs> Little Feet, so he definitely had that vibe. And, and uh, I actually, in one of the liner notes of uh, one of the earlier albums, might have been this, this year's model, Elvis talks about how he wanted the drum sound to sound like Cold, 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 which was a, a Little Feet song, I think, on their second album, Sailing Shoes. So to me, like, that, that's where that, and I had no idea these Little Feet uh, um, uh, influences existed until I read the book. So that's, and the book came out after The Delivery Man. But when I hear button my lip and I hear bedlam and I hear monkey to a man, I absolutely hear the little feet influence um, uh, all over this album. Uh, and there's a story in your voice is the uh, the song with Lucinda Williams. Lucinda Williams, you know, love Lucinda Williams. And the thing that's, you know, always you know, one one thing that's particularly distinctive 
perspective about her is her voice. Her voice is rough, mm-hmm. but yet it's beautiful. You know, the way she delivers it, she, she, she delivers pain and, and, and passion in, in, in her voice. And it's just wonderful to hear her going back and forth. Uh, and then eventually, uh, harmonizing with Elvis on, there's a story in your voice. screwed up. I, I, I credited Needle Time to When I Was Cruel, but it's actually on this album. So that's yet another song <laughs> I can uh, I can uh, vouch for on this album. Uh, like I said, to, to, to wrap it up, my feelings about this album is, you know, it's a, it's a rock album, it's country influenced, but it's not a pastiche. It's not trying to be something else. It's taking, taking things he loves and putting his own stamp on it. I think one of the confessions, by the way, that, that, that we all have to make as Elvis Costello fans is that there are just so many side projects that none of us, <laughs> if we're being honest with one another, can say that we've listened to all of them with truly reverent attention. Like I've listened to all this useless beauty maybe about like, you know, 55 times. I mean, that's a lot for an album, by the way. You know, it's it, every note is in my bones. Uh, I've listened to his collaboration with Alan Toussaint that comes next, The River in reverse uh, half of once and that was only this week I, I can't confess to having any opinion that's informed or worth listening to whatsoever about this record um, because you know that's the way it goes with somebody who's as discursive yeah. as Elvis gets yeah. in these later years but I know that you Anthony had some thoughts about this and some songs on here that you particularly enjoyed and I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about those yeah thank you um, so the river in reverse is his collaboration with Alan Toussaint, uh, a legendary uh, uh, New Orleans piano player and singer and songwriter in his own right. Yeah, uh, and, and the first time you hear him on an Elvis record actually is on Deep Dark Truth from Mio. He's, he's the one playing the piano and doing the arrangements there. And uh, interestingly enough, the very first song on the River in Reverse is On Your Way Down, which is a so- it's an Alan Toussaint song. It's an old song. Little Feet covered that song as well on one of their earlier albums. I think on Dixie Chicken they covered On Your Way Down. Uh, so this uh, this... This is a, a reaction to uh, Hurricane Katrina. This album came out almost ex- almost a year uh, after Hurricane Katrina. Um, Elvis Costello uh, was went down to New Orleans, recorded this album fairly quickly in the months after. Uh, he's, he clearly was emotionally overwrought about what had happened to that city. So he gets together with Alan Toussaint, who still can play. Uh, they're playing Professor Longhair songs. They're playing some Alan Toussaint songs. They wrote a couple songs together. And Elvis brings out a, a couple songs. The title track, The River in Reverse, is definitely his. Uh, I'm, I'm so pissed off at George Bush and the administration for abandoning this great American city. Um, and uh, Tears, Tears and More Tears is another one in that vein. Uh, but the to me the the highlight of this uh, album is the sharpest thorn, which is a song co-written with uh, Elvis Costello and Alan Toussaint. Uh, doesn't really have um, you know literal connotations to Hurricane Katrina, 
But it's, uh, I, I think I mentioned it uh, in the email thread that, uh, not that I would know, but if this, if the, if if there was going to be a song or two that was played at my funeral, I wouldn't be mad if the sharpest thorn was played. Um, it's 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 on that uh, that epic uh, mix of tragedy because it just you know the 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 very very end when he's uh, singing I wasn't born the sharpest thorn. There's just there's just a lot of pain uh, that he's you know willing to willing to share there. So good and evil were ever to find. It lasts much longer than anyone died. It may last longer than a life and turn a mistress into a wife. And so confetti fills the air. My head is aching, my pockets are bare. I didn't recognize their warning. The sharpest thorn I wasn't born The sharpest thorn um, And I, I, I do think this, this one was released on Verve, which is a jazz label. Uh, this it's, it's also only a couple of these tracks are available on Spotify, so there must be some kind of weird licensing thing there. Um, and now I obviously didn't have much to say about a few of uh, the Elvis side projects. This is one that I... I will put my stamp of approval on, especially if you're a fan of uh, New Orleans blues and R&B as I am. Now, I know that Scott sold The Delivery Man as being the best sort of late era Elvis Costello record, and I was about to buy into that. I was about (laughs) to buy the lies, the lies that Scott sold me so brazenly until the point where for the first time this last two weeks – I heard the next record that he put out. This is 2008. And this is a record that's almost by design created to be overlooked because what's the name of it? It's Momofuku, which I think when I saw this back in the day, I saw it in in like, you know, online or whatever. I was like, isn't that like like a restaurant or something like that? Which I believe it is. But I believe Elvis Costello named it after the founder of a cup of noodles, instant ramen or something Uh like that. Momofuku is um, uh, David Chang's chain of restaurants in, in New York. Oh, great. Thank you. Because I, I went to one when I was like, that, that, that's that's I, I could not comprehend why Elvis Costello would name it after that. Um, and I guess the reason I of course, you know, you do your research and you learn about these things. He named it after that because, you know, this is like instant ramen. The guy who founded it with uh, Momofuku was is the guy who like, created a cup of noodles and oodles of noodles. You know, the stuff that we always used to eat in college. And of course, if you were like me, you, you didn't even bother cooking it. You just ate it raw out of the package because because you were too lazy or you were too strapped for time to actually go and bother to boil the water. Um, and that's basically the genesis of this album, which I cannot say enough helps it immensely. <clears throat> there is something so beautifully great about an album that he has not worried over, has not overthought, overplayed, overarranged, is not like, oh, here's me doing my jazz stuff. Here's me. I sat down for two weeks and I wrote out all this musical notation for strings. Um, You know, here, we're going to get Anne-Sophie Von Otter in to sing a solo on this track, that kind of crap. No, this is a quick and dirty album, and it is the most spontaneous sounding thing that he has done since brutal youth and and the other thing about it is that as far as late period elvis is concerned this is blessedly brief Mm -hmm. this is 
only 45 minutes only <laughs> only 45 minutes long oh wow it's like blinking you missed it right um there isn't a song on this record that i don't like i think everything has fun has heart to it maybe flutter and wow maybe the only thing is like i love the title of that that's like about like you know tapes getting you know like you know, shredded after overplaying too much and it's got a little bit too much to it it could have been cut uh but i i, I even love like the little experience like harry worth is a bit of like the oompa oompa same with uh you know you know stella hurt mr yeah, feathers that's a good song these songs work they all work place in american gangsters time would start off with rock to like you know pardon me madam my name is eve from the title you might think oh here's another pretentious elvis costello gig oh cripes no it's a beautiful song go away is a great song i don't think there's a weak track on this and to me this is is an almost inexplicable a miracle as it's not on that level but i always thought like in rainbows from radiohead was like how do they come out with that after like you know several years of you know diminishing returns this one is great it's the best of his late period albums i really think that people who just sort of assume that he's kind of disappeared up his own posterior in these later years need to go hear this despite the ridiculous title um scott tell me why either i'm wrong or confess to your own sins well, I don't think it's as good as The Delivery Man, but I never told you it was bad or not worth uh, listening to. This is a really good album and made even sweeter because uh, it was around this time that Elvis Costello said he was done recording albums. He was frustrated by the Internet age. And he's like, why would I why would I go through all the effort of, of, of putting a track list together when someone can go get MP3s and do whatever they want? I'm not doing albums anymore. I'm going to play concerts where people have to pay me and then have to listen to the songs in the order I wish to present them. And so there was a, a, certainly a thought that he was he really was done. Uh, but so he goes in with uh, the band to do some work on, on a Jenny Lewis album, who's fantastic. And uh, uh, Pete Thomas's daughter is there playing Tennessee, and, and they, they go in, and in lieu of payment, Elvis said, ah, let's just cut some tracks for fun. And that's where the, uh, the origin of Momofuku comes from. He's like, well, that's great. Let's do a couple more. And, uh, and suddenly you realize, well, I have half the band here with me already. Let's yeah. call everyone else in. <laughs> and and it, it is great. Stella Hurt is has this like, hey, bulldog riff to it that returns via piano later in the song. Uh, it's great. Really, for me, the first two songs are so killer. So killer. Uh, no hiding place. Uh, and again, Anthony, 
a fantastic opening track on this album. No Hiding Place is kind of his rant against the people who would take his songs and reorder uh, them uh, uh, via MP3. Uh, this, this is kind of modern. It's not quite, you know, the old man yells at clouds, but at the same time, it's very relevant. Even, what, 11 years after the fact, uh, you can say anything you want to in your fetching cloak of anonymity. Are you uh, feeling out of breath now in your desperate pursuit of infamy with some great backing vocals from jenny lewis on that final word uh walk up to me and say what you said let's see how brave you are when i'm about this far and that line there is said in these little little segments in between beats it's just a great vocal performance by elvis costello walk up to me and see what you said let's see how brave you are when i'm about this far you said in judgment and bitch That American Gangster Time is track two. You can tell by the title he's not happy with the USA. It's one of the songs I'm like ashamed to sing along to because the chorus, it's a drag saluting that starry ra- uh, star- uh, starry flag. <laughs> um, I'd rather do time. Or, um, use it just like a rag. Uh, you can't fight the melody, man. That's I know. It can't deny the melody. And the best part for me is the very end, the last 30 seconds or so. I remember driving to work just after this, this album came out, I'd play these two. It was just about long enough to play the first two songs on the album. I would stomp so hard along with, with uh, Pete Thomas's uh, bass uh, kick drum at the end of American Gangster Time. I thought I'd put a hole in the floorboard of my car. It is so propulsive uh, on American Gangster Time, and it's a song that he has been playing often on this latest tour. You can fill in the reasons why, I suppose. Uh, but No Hiding Place at American Gangster Time are an amazing one-two combo to start Momofuku. It's a dream.
not all that long, as Jeff said. Uh, I like Flutter and Wow. I actually appealed to my wife to have Flutter and Wow played at uh, some point during our wedding reception and was vetoed. Uh, so that did not get played. Uh, we have, we have so many stories about songs that we wanted included yes. in our, at our wedding that we didn't get. <laughs> I guess that's the plight of a music nerd. I have a long list. Uh, but no, I don't. I, look, I don't think it's as good as the, the Delivery Man, but it's the Imposters and it's Elvis. And the, the as Jeff mentioned, the spontaneity and the and kind of the, the rawness with which these songs are played, very much a strike in its favor uh, for, for how it plays out. Yeah, I mean, this is a, this is a back to basics uh, record. It's, it's the weirdest thing. I don't I don't remember this album coming out. I mean, I have heard it in the eleven years since it's been out, but I don't. I had I have no recollection of uh, Elvis Costello putting out a straight rock record with the Imposters in the late two thousands. Uh, Go away and Harry Worth are two standout for me and um american gangster time as well that is it's just a great rhythm to that song uh the thing that annoys me is not so much the uh, animosity to american patriotism it's just the invocation of the words american and gangster because there was that movie with russell crowe and denzel washington which right yep. one of those movies that i have no idea why it was made it's like one of the <laughs> two hour long movies that's like just completely pointless <laughs> and every time i hear this song it makes me think of that movie and how much it annoyed me when I watched it. But I just think it's funny track. that he, I just think it's funny that he wrote it about George W. Bush, and as like you know, like boy, you know, if you thought he was bad, Elvis, <laughs> don't you wish you had sat on that one for another eight years? <laughs> because yeah. then it would have felt a little fresher. Because like George W. Bush, practically genteel at this point, if you're an, if you really don't like conservative or Republican policies. But anyways, I, I think this is a huge. This was a huge comeback for him. I think it's his best late period out, best post, you know, uh, post all this useless beauty, I guess is the way I would put it. These next two records, which I feel like we can deal with kind of together because they're basically with the same band and they came out pretty quickly back to back. I, I also feel like we can deal with pretty quickly as well. And, and, and in a negative way, I, I'm actually very, very disappointed in these next two, you know, two Elvis Costello albums that I hadn't heard. You know, I do these in chronological order. I, I got Mama Fuku and I was like, wow, wow, okay. Now, that was a huge surprise. Now, now I'm really ready to be impressed. And then he came out with Secret Profane and Sugarcane. And then right after that, almost immediately afterwards, he came out with National Ransom. Uh, they're both basically done the idea at least the rap the way you know at least it reads from the criticism is that he, he's kind of repeating his trick from king of america and he's, he's going back to nashville he's going to go back into the americana and country sounds um but there's just something hollow and not quite there about all of these records and i think the best way i can come you know epitomize that is by talking about the bizarrely unnecessary redo of complicated shadows yeah. you know, and we we've already i guarantee you we've clipped this song uh, in it's all this useless beauty version earlier on in the show and then he redoes it for no reason that i can grasp as a country tune and you know i elvis has always liked to reinterpret songs that was you know particularly good by cruel world where he thought like i really did a terrible job in the studio with these tunes and so he rewrites them and he gives them to other artists and he did better versions of them stuff like you know the deportees club or comedians those are the comedians the roy orbison's version of that song was way better than the one that's on goodbye cruel world but 
the original version of Complicated Shadows was amazing. There was no reason to redo it, and this is just weak. And it just has a certain diffidence and uh, a, a stiltedness and a halting tone that I kind of use as a synecdoche for the entire two-album experiment with you know these sugar canes, which would be his like his sort of alternate touring band, not the Imposters, but instead these other guys, the sugar canes, these studio pros that he recorded with. I mean, there is some good music on this. Sulfur to Sugar Cane is an okay song too long but a good song but i just don't really have a lot to say about these records i i, I, I find them to be kind of dispiritingly gormless the the story with the albums is almost more interesting in that uh secret profane and sugarcane was was put on the on a starbucks label on i think it was hear music and so it got prominent placement it was played in starbucks you could buy it with your latte or whatever you buy at starbucks it actually went to number 13. Secret Profane and Sugarcane is, I believe, uh, the highest charting Elvis Costello album since Get Happy in the U.S. And I, the quality is not... I, I don't really like Secret Profane and Sugarcane. But I mean, it means so much something completely different in 2010. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, does, yes. Uh, 1980. But the, the, but National Ransom, I think he made with with the thought that it was going to, he could still make a statement via an album. And he had the Sugar Canes and the Imposters play on National Ransom and put together a pretty decent set of songs. I like National Ransom. I like Jimmy Standing in the Rain, which he loves. Elvis loves that song. It's a sequel to it on Look Now. The hip flask and bubble skin of some stitched out Josephine is all he'll get. That's not the part of him you're leaving. It's a really good song. Essentially a double LP with two crack bands. And by this point, Starbucks' plan had changed, and so it was not prominent. And it stiffed. Essentially, no one cared about this album that Elvis put his heart and soul into and really thought was fantastic. And that led him to pull away from, again, doing new music for the future, um, or at least for a while. But that's, that's kind of where National Ransom falls. Elvis really likes National Ransom. I think it's far superior to uh, Secret Profane and Sugarcane, but still not on par with either Momofuku or, or Delivery Man. But he, I think he was so disappointed by the response to what he thought was a really great album with a really great cast of, of characters and a really great cast of musicians that he sort of pulled inward again. I think, again, I think National Ransom, Ransom is better than okay and has some pretty good songs, uh, title track most prominently. But uh, I, I, I'm, I'm with Jeff in that both these feel under underwhelming. Uh, I, don't, I don't really have much to add. Like, I, I, I appreciate what he was doing. I like country music as well. But I, when I, when I, I these, are, these are also two albums I had no idea existed until I was digging <laughs> in for uh, research for this episode. And I listened to them both a couple times through. 
and not a single track jumped out at me. I like there, it was pleasant enough. There was never there was never a time when I was like, oh, this is terrible. But nothing really struck me as uh, as worth paying attention to. This brings us to the final album, at least to date, in the Elvis Costello discography. And this one again, I'm going to say I am I am genuinely surprised. This is the first one. <clears throat> from Elvis that I actually heard contemporaneously. This came out last year. It's called Look Now. And um, it was, uh, I just happened to, you know, somebody linked it, you know, Twitter or something like that. And I listened to some of the songs and I was surprised, genuinely surprised at how good it was. Um, and I went back again for the show to listen to it again, to sort of verify that my, uh, you know, I, I bought it this time to verify that, you know, my opinion was correct. And I stand by it. This and Momofuku are actually really solid albums. I think Underline, which is, you know, the first song on the record, is one of his great later period songs. It's a long way down from the house you're on When you stumble in the song And the last time we saw him, he was out in the rain Watching that train Till the young girl with a good fun Just keep her amused Whatever you do Don't tell them your name Whatever you think Don't let them drink Underline, underline, underline You know, and if it weren't for the fact that there's so many other wonderful ones that I've already stacked up in my list, this could, this could make my top ten you know, for the uh, Elvis Costello second half of his career listing. I think a lot of these songs are good. I think the extended album weakens it. I don't think those last four songs really go. I think it, you should just listen to the first 12 tracks. You know, it's <laughs> from, you know, Underlime to He's Giving Me Things. But I think, um, you know, this is again him at a much more sort of pop craftsman-like, less pretentious, uh, more direct style. And, you know, as Scott points out, which I haven't seen, but I mean, I'm going to, you know, I, I, I defer to his judgment because he's usually pretty spot on about these things. He's also come across really well live as well. Yeah, the concert I saw last year in Detroit, he did, I think, seven tracks from uh, Look Now, and they all came off great. And, and that... It, this is under uh, underlime is, is the first track, but but look now as an album. There there are a bunch of songs that he was working on for a while, and uh, something go back twenty years. I mean, uh, unwanted number, which is one of my real favorites, uh, is from a nineteen ninety six film uh, that he wrote uh, a song for a song or two for. And I guess I guess Pete Thomas had all these tracks and, and sort of assembled them in an order that made sense and sparked Elvis's idea, sparked his. Uh, his desire to finish things off. But, I mean, Burnt Sugar is So Bitter is a, just a supremely well-written written song with Carole King. Uh, Suspect My Tears was awesome in concert. That's uh, very much a Burt Bacharach kind of style song. Photographs Can Lie is great. But, you know, he described this sound as uptown pop. And so I, I think as much as Jeff mentioned earlier that... Um, 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 what was it? It might have like a rose, might have been another stab at Imperial Bedroom. Uh, I think Elvis kind of sees Look Now as as an updated 
Imperial Bedroom Sound. Uh, and the band is so integral to that effort. And by this point, the imposters, I mean, two of them have been playing together since, you know, 1977. But, you know, Davey's been such an integral member of that band, such an important member of that band now for a number of years. They are really tight uh, and really can go from one style to the other with ease on Look Now and prove that in the live show. Uh, this is, I don't put it up with the very, very best from this era, but it's just a step or, or, or two down. Uh, very successful uh, for, for what is, again, really a number of songs that were literally 20 years in the making. I, I, he, he, he writes a song about you know the British Empire that actually is really great. It's called "I Let the Sun Go Down." You know, of course, the the the, the classic line is that the sun never sets on the British Empire mm-hmm. because it spans the globe, right? Somewhere around the world, the sun is always up on a British territory. But you know, this is from the point of view of a, a guy. I mean, he's just a soldier, obviously. You know, he's not you know prime minister or anything like that. And he's just like you know, stay a while, delay the night. I'm too young for twilight. They tell the sun to hesitate. That's when Britain was great, you know. And what's the line? You know, I, I, I'm the one who let the sun go down. You know, he's like he's feeling, you know, a sense of inadequacy, uh, an act of sympathy uh, from a guy who, of course, wrote Oliver's Army <laughs> you know, several <laughs> decades ago. It's you know, a different sort of take on the empire, as it were, um, and just a beautiful piece of music as well. Um, and I, I just again, yeah, there, 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 there are pop moves here that are just unexpected from them, and I guess sort of, to me at least, flow more naturally from Momofuku than they certainly do from the the like weird excursion with the sugar canes. And uh, I, you know, I don't expect Elvis to, uh, you know, blow my mind with another trust at this point, but he's still putting out pretty good music. Yeah, I don't uh, have much to say uh, that you guys haven't already said. I was pleasantly surprised by this record as well. Uh, Burnt Sugar is so bitter. The the collaboration with Carol King. First of all, how cool is it that they wrote a new song together? Like that is, I, you know, I just think that's great. I, I think Carol right. King is great. And, the world always needs more Carol King songs, in my yeah, opinion. Right? And, I don't know, but I, and I just love that these two titans got together at this uh, late stage to put something together that is good and, and executed well. Again, one more time. Album kicks off with "Underline." You know, great song. You know that 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 that, that I, I really didn't know what to expect from this because I remember just reading about this that this was, you know, basically an, an island of lost toys. This this record of just you know unfinished songs or, or projects that had been in the works forever. But uh, it's it's cohesive and it's fun, um, and it may be the last one we get. So I enjoy it. And that brings us up to date on the career of Elvis Costello. And we have to give you our two albums and five songs from this time period. It's not... I mean, it's not uh, by the way, by the way. Yes, yes. 
By the way, Scott, I, I am talking like the Godfather for a reason, because for this one time, I will offer you this kindness. I recognize that we have protocols, we have established rules that we adhere to, because without rules, we are savages. The rules say that we can only name five songs, five songs from this era. But I, I have thought about this, and I declare that this is unfair. That because we are covering such a long span of time, it would be cruel and unusual to allow us only to name five songs. And so for this one time, I allow you this grace that you may name seven songs. Seven songs. Seven. All right. From the worst impression of the uh, the Godfather I've heard. But I, 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 take, I take the message. Uh, we turn to uh, Anthony. We'll give you a, a few seconds here to think. Politics editor at Business Insider and Insider and uh, producer of the Fifth Column podcast. Find it at wethefifth.com. Anthony Fisher, your, your two albums and seven songs from this well, era of Elvis Costello. This is actually very helpful because I've been, uh, you know, with my note app here, I've been uh, adjusting my, my five, it was going to be five uh, songs. I've narrowed it down to 10. <laughs> hey, why do you think I did this? Okay, it's the same <laughs> thing here, right? Cool. So for, for my albums, uh, The Delivery Man, which I, I think is, uh, as I mentioned, the culmination of so many influences that uh, in, in a late career move, he was able to pull together a sound that really kind of was all its own. It wasn't straight country. It wasn't uh, trying to, you know, do George Jones songs. He was, he was taking his influences, uh, bringing some awesome collaborators like Lucinda Williams and Emmylou Harris together with the imposters and bringing out something that sounded good and of its time. So the, the delivery man is one, one, and just by a hair, the other one is Blood and Chocolate, beating out Brutal Youth. But uh, I, I still feel like Blood and Chocolate is that, uh, is that bridge record to the, the earlier iteration of the Elvis Costello career, which I got to I gotta admit I'm partial to. Um, so those are my two albums. So I got seven tracks to work with now. I, I'm trying to mix up the, uh, the, the ballads with the, the rockers. And I think I've done it now. So uh, I'm going to say... That of the ballads, I'm going to give Little Adams, couldn't call it unexpected, and the sharpest thorn. I'm going to I'm going to give some some immortality to the river in reverse because somebody has to. <laughs> uh, the other four uh, a little more loud. Let me just make sure that I got this is four. See, it's five. I have to I have to mix it up now. I will say, button my lip. The opening track on the delivery man. The Other Side of Summer, the opening track on Mighty Like a Rose. I Hope You're Happy Now, uh, which is the second track on uh, Blood and Chocolate, I believe. And just because Spike needs, a, needs some love, Deep Dark Truthful Mirror. So those are my seven. Hey, Paisan, you might as well just tell us what was that last song you had to omit. <laughs> the last song I had to admit was 13 Steps Lead Down. Good, good song. All right, Scott. Uh, all right, my, my two albums... Um... Man, there are a lot of places you can go here. Uh, Brutal Youth, again, I think is is almost certainly the most consistent, the deepest of uh, of, of of these albums from this era that are that are overlong, and it's great. Uh, Brutal Youth is great and deserves to be re uh, discovered by by many. And I would say the Delivery Man. I would say Brutal Youth and the Delivery Man from this era, uh, partially because I know uh, one of the albums Jeff's going to pick next. Uh, in terms of songs, 
if I'm going seven, it's actually complicated things because I had it at five, and now I add all these new possibilities in. Uh, Brilliant Mistake from King of America is on the list. Uh, I Hope You're Happy Now from Blood and Chocolate. Sulky Girl, one of the catchiest, hookiest choruses that Elvis Costello ever wrote from Brutal Youth. Either Side of the Same Town from The Delivery Man. What a great soulful track. No Hiding Place, the first cut off of Momofuku. Those were the five that I had decided on, and now i gotta, I got to figure out two more. Um, Anthony gave me Deep Dark Truthful Mirror, so I'm going to take that off. Uh, Complicated Shadows from All This Useless Beauty, not the, not the one from uh, the more recent effort. And um, uh, Little Palaces from King of America would be my seventh track. Oof. Okay. Jeff, over to you. Isn't it strange how you can name seven songs and still feel like you left out five other ones <laughs> that you might have wanted to mention? That's 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 the issue with a guy like Elvis. So for me, my two albums, that, that is actually a pretty easy call for me. The first of them is King of America, which I'm surprised that I'm the only one who's named. God, I think King of America is one of the most moving albums of his career. It's Elvis without the rancor. There is rancor, there is sarcasm, there is bitterness. There's all those classic traits that you associate with, you know, top-tier Elvis Costello lyricism. But there's also, there's remorse, there's emotional honesty, there's openness, there's vulnerability in a way that you rarely are ever going to hear in an album of his uh, from this point onward, really, you know, up until the present day. I just can't say enough good things about it, even if there are a couple of songs there that that could have been consigned to B-sides or outtakes. And the second one I will say is his last album with the attractions all this useless beauty and i've been talking this one up for to both of you guys for a couple of weeks now i just think that all this useless beauty is you know overlooked it's treated as like the the uh, elvis costello discard pile and it's not it's not refuse it's not garbage in fact actually the cover almost makes it you think that it might be that because it has this um you know this uh you know you know, store mannequin, you know, that's done up and it's all called patched up and it looks like it's been beaten up and, and, and moved around and, and, and poorly used. And you might think that's the case with the songs on it, but, but my friend, no, there, there's so much of his best music that's hiding away on all this useless beauty. As for my f- five, oh, I mean, I mean seven songs, seven songs, and then one day you will do me a kindness. My seven songs, I could have named almost all of King of America, but if I have to choose just one song, it's going to be Jack of All Parades, which is, uh, again, played it at my wedding. And, you know, if you want to have a song played at your wedding, then it must mean something to you. This is, uh, I think, his greatest love lyric, his most openly romantic song and it even somehow manages to work in a reference to judy garland without seeing twee yes. <laughs> or, or like you know phony or overly mannered uh the next one i'll choose is i'm going to skip over blood and chocolate and spike and i'm going to go straight to uh, mighty like a rose and i'll say the next one I, I pick would be the other side of summer which i know anthony also chose what a great opening to mighty like a rose what a great beach boys pastiche what a great venomous lyric. Um, funny. It has all of the, the sort of eternal Elvis verities. Uh, the next one I'll pick is from Brutal Youth, and that's You Tripped at Every Step. You've already heard me talk about how I think it's kind of this non pareil example of pop songwriting from his late career, maybe his entire career. Uh, the next, I'm going to pick two songs from All This Useless Beauty. 
man, I, I'm just telling you folks, you really need to hear this record. The first will be The Other End of the Telescope, which is the opening track, the one that he co-wrote with Amy Mann, the one that also features on the Till Tuesday version. They're both different, by the way, because Elvis rewrote it for, his, uh, for the Attractions version, just maybe one of his finer ballads. And then, of course, the other one from uh, All This Useless Beauty is It's Time is uh you know the last in a series of great anti-margaret thatcher songs you know i don't even care that you know his politics aren't my politics i can recognize a great rant when i hear it and that is one of the greatest rants that you're ever going to hear from elvis it's just so good it's so just thuddingly beautifully relentlessly brutal and glorious um if I'm going to pick one song from his later career, uh, I would. And there are a lot of good music here, but uh, you know, I, I wanted to focus on some of those neglected '90s Warner's albums. But I think one song I'd pick from his later career would be "Episode of Blonde" from "When I Was Cruel," which is a little bit non-standard, uh, a little bit crazy. And I do like it. It, it ran, it runs on, and it rants, but it deserves every second of its running time. And I guess the last song I'll choose, my seventh song, uh, would be a song that we didn't mention at all during the show. Uh, it's That Day Is Done, his version of uh, the song that he wrote with Paul McCartney. McCartney released his version on uh, Flowers in the Dirt. We talked about that when we did our McCartney episode back in the day. Uh, I think as good as McCartney's version is that Elvis's version, he did it with the Fairfield Four. It wasn't released on any Elvis Costello album. It was released on the Fairfield Four's uh, album. I think it was I Couldn't Hear Nobody Pray was the name of the record. Uh, it's maybe his finest sort of pure, soulful you know, you know, profoundly powerful vocal performance of his entire career. You know, when he sings, you know, that's why she walks or so they say she always knew just what I needed. Now, if she would just look my way just one more time before they receded, she sprinkles flowers in the dirt. And uh, you hear him basically pushing his vocal talents to the top of his range, to the full extent of his powers, and in doing so, outstripping what was already an excellent McCartney version. And the real reason I wanted to push it on you folks is because I think it's one of those songs that's been forgotten. You can't find it on records. It's pretty obscure, but it's one of his great, 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 great lost tracks. She sprinkles flowers in the dirt oh, yeah. That's where the thrill becomes a
And there is the political beats. Look at the lengthy and uh, very interesting career of one Elvis Costello. Thanks to Anthony Fisher, politics editor, business insider, and insider, fifth column podcast, we the com at Anthony L. Fisher on Twitter. Anthony, thanks for coming along for the ride. My pleasure, guys. Let's uh, let's do a four-parter of the next artist. Oh. Yeah, I can't even believe that we managed to pull this off. And Jeff, with this, it uh, ends our 2019 summer extravaganza. Yes, the summer schedule was over. Our next episode will be 30 minutes long. Uh, or your money back. Uh, yes. At Esoteric CD on Twitter. Let's put it this Jeff. way. They will have to pay as much money. They will get as much money back as they had to pay. Absolutely. That's, that's right. our promise to, uh, to the listener. Uh, my name is Scott Bertram. You can find me on Twitter at Scott Bertram. Subscribe to our feed for new episodes. iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn. And also at nationalreview.com, where you can find us under the podcasts tab. On Twitter as well, at political underscore beats. This has been a presentation of National Review. This is Political Beats.